Episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and here by my side is my good friend Tim Elliott. Say hello. Hi, Tim. hi, hi, Tim. Uh, that was a very enthusiastic uh, opening there, Brian. I know. I just opened a code red, so uh, I got the Ooh. I got the burn, burn off of it. You know, um. hey, it was a burn. <laughs> what do you know? Uh, so, what we're going to talk about today, Tim? Uh, well, I think we are going to talk about uh, two books. Uh, we're going to talk about Fantastic Four 241, the entire book, and then we're going to talk about a backup story in Marvel Team-Up number 100, and the common thread between the two stories is, uh, one, John Byrne, but that's the common thread through everything we do, uh, and the other common thread is uh, Black Panther. Yes. So you could call this our shameless obligatory right. coattails writing episode before the fact of the Black Panther movie. Maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to get this one out before the movie comes out. Oh, we should, because that's February, it's in first week of February, I think, and I'll, I'll get this out into January. So it'll be out before uh, the film. Excellent. Excellent. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So what's going on? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. Just, uh, you know, we're kind of getting back in a swing at doing the show after kind of a long hiatus because life gets in the way. And life's been getting in the way last week for me because it's just been just crazy busy at work. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I've been working a lot of hours and then come home and it works more. And then my my brain is kind of so fired up just from <laughs> thinking all day, you know, that I can't go to bed, you know. So you lay in, you lay in bed for like a half an hour because your, your brain still, you know, it's like revved up. So it's just been it's just been exhausting this last week. Hmm. You know, I've got a perfect sleep remedy for you, and I, I don't know if I've discussed this before with you, but it, it's, I find it to be incredibly helpful. And the first the first movie I ever did this with was the original Star Wars. Um, what I would do is I would lay down in bed and I would put on Star Wars, but I wouldn't look at it. Just listen? I, I, I just lay down and listen and let my mind fill in the pictures. And because I know the movie so well... I, I could do that, and it it wouldn't. Nothing else could distract me, so I could sit there and do that and enjoy it and just lull off to sleep, as my brain did all that work. Mm. And I would fall asleep, and I'd have pleasant dreams, and nothing else would intrude. Nice. And it all, I mean, the idea behind that is that is that by doing that, I wasn't allowing my brain to sit there and focus on anything else, unfinished business or. You know, whatever, maybe a disagreement you have with somebody or whatever. I was able to just sit there and let that take over. And so now, I mean, the thing is, I've done that so much, not just with, I, I use movies like Star Wars or 
the Rocketeer or Wally. Wally's great because Wally, there's no, di- no there's dialogue for the yeah. first 45 minutes, you know. And uh, so now, and, and my wife hates this about me, so I can sit there and just go to bed, lay down, turn on my side, and shut down. I just shut down because now I can just put my mind in a particular mode. Mm. And because I'm, I'm, I'm writing a story. And as I'm writing the story, I keep getting stuck on certain things. And so I let my mind wander to those things. How am I going to resolve this? How am I going to resolve it? How can I get past this? And it does the same thing for me that uh, putting Star Wars on or something else did because I've got everything working built up to that point. So I have to build up to that point and then try to figure out how to get past that uh, tough spot. But uh, I put, either way, it works. It's, it's, a, it's a good way. I, I don't know how well that would work with you with Fanula. Well, sometimes when she's always often she's often said she's going to get me some earphones so that I can kind of I can either watch or listen to TV uh, while she could go because she a lot of times will go to bed uh, before me and she's a real light sleeper. I'm a heavy heavy sleeper, so I can go to sleep anytime and she's a light sleeper, so it's hard. I could it's hard for me if I want to watch TV. You know, another thing another thing you could do is go down to the Fire and Water Network and download every single episode of Zoom Yukonori's. Done in One Wonders. Professor Zoom Yukonori, he has got the voice. The voice <laughs> that can just lull you to sleep. It's a great, interesting show. Uh, you know, he basically is talking about a different book every episode. And he, he brings in his own little guest stars, Terra Man, or, you know, somebody else out there from uh, the DC Bronze Age mm-hmm. or Silver Age. It's it's a, a fun show. And like I said, he's got a voice that can just hypnotize you. Nice. I haven't. I've been kind of lax on my podcast listening. I've been so busy that I haven't that I can't listen to them while I work and, and concentrate at the same time. But. Well, well, I'll tell you some of the great ones that are out there, especially on. I've been looking at the Firewater Network because they've really got a great library of shows out there. Uh, one of them that you just I just look forward to is the Superman uh, movie minute, where Chris Franklin and oh my gosh, is it Rob Kelly? Yeah, uh, they will sit there and I think it's Rob Kelly. I hope. Anyway, they will take uh, five minutes. of they, They've been going through the movie five minutes at a time. And so each week you're just getting five minutes as they talk about everything that happened in that five minute period and what was so great about it, what was, you know, what they really enjoyed about it and any little bits of information they can throw in from outside that you may not know. And it's kind uh, of a cool it, concept. It is a great, well, there's a, there's another a series of podcasts out there that are, that's like the movie minute where they do that by a movie one minute at a time. And they took the concept and just made it five minutes at a time. And I think it really works well with the five minute, uh, you know, well, five minutes on there. How long is the show? Is it show like five minutes or is it 10, no, 15, uh, 30? About half an hour, I believe. No, that's, that's not bad. It's, it's, it's great. It's good for, you know, the, the short chores and stuff like that. If you need something to help you wind down before you go to sleep or, if you're going to go for a jog or, you know, get on your bike or whatever, uh, it's, you know, it's good for that. And, you know, of course, uh, Chris Franklin has got such a friendly voice, you know, with that little bit of a Southern twang to him. Um, you know, it's like, and he's got such love for the movie that, you know, it, it can't help but come through. And he, he know they know so much about the movie. They've, they've got, they've got information even I hadn't heard. And I mean, I love that movie and I've dug in on that, but, uh, they, of course, one of the things they tell you almost every episode is you need to go watch the movie and listen to the Richard Donner, Tom Mankiewicz uh, commentary. Commentary, 
because they tell you stuff that uh, you just love to hear about. But you know, again, it's it's uh, that's that's one of their great shows. And then of course they got other shows that uh, that are really really funny. Ohatmu or not, <laughs> which is they go through Ohatmu Second Edition, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, uh, and it is Siskoid, and he's got like five girls. Uh, that have other podcasts or blogs or, or, or uh, YouTube channels out there that they, he'll sit there and show them each character from the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And they just sit there and say they're hot or they're not. And why? They talk about why they would go out with him or why they wouldn't, you know. And it's it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, wait a second. They, none of them, none of them to a one thought that Angel was hot. From the X-Men? Yeah. Huh? Well, you know, is Angel or is Archangel? No, well, they saw him as both. They saw him as Archangel, but they also saw him as Warren Worthington III, but they showed him in a late 70s um, tank top. So it kind of made him look village people. Uh, uh, that, that might, that the fashion might have killed him. But yeah, he was like, yeah. You know, he was up there with like Tony Stark as Playboy. So yeah, I know. You know and I'm just like, wow, they, they didn't like, okay. And then, you know, it's like, you know, they sit there and they go on and they look at other characters and then there were, they got to Dark Star. You know, she's the Russian chick in the all-black costume with the yellow star on her chest. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I realized all of a sudden looking at the image while they're talking about it that they got her kind of posed like a porn star. <laughs> and and, and, and I, don't, I don't know that they actually brought that up, but they thought that it was rather un, um, an appealing position to see a woman in. But uh, that, like again, it's a fun show. Uh, they have a great time putting it together. Uh, Chris Franklin does those wonderful toys where it, he just talks about all the toys of his youth. There's a show out there about um, what the Mountain Comics, which is I want to say it's Ryan Daly, who is talking about the comics that he read during the summers when his family would drive to the Poconos. Oh, okay. And so it's talking about all different books. But this is these are books that I read in my youth when my family was going on vacation and we'd stop at like Stuckey's and pick up a Whitman sampler of three books. And so, you know, it's like you know, you'd have like Batman and then you'd have Justice League and then you'd have Bugs Bunny or Richie Rich or Little Devil or, you know, the was a Heckle and Jekyll, or, you know, just all. So I even got a Kipps Big Boy comic book out of one of those samplers <laughs> once. And I say Whitman sampler, that sounds like a candy sampler, but there was um. Whitman was a distributor of comic books in like all the, the little stores and chains and stuff where they would package them as three or four to a package. And so you would get a comic book and it looked like a comic book, but it would have a different label up on top, a banner up top and it have the W where you'd normally have the little character uh, thing in the corner. And I don't remember if there was a barcode at all on them. I don't think there was. But that might have actually been before barcodes were put on the front cover. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's like, and it, uh, do you remember Stuckey's? I know of Stuckey's. I don't know if I've ever actually been to a Stuckey's. I mean, today we, we've got a modern age equivalent of it called Bucky's. Bucky's. Yeah, I've, been to, and, I've been to Bucky's. I like Bucky's. Yeah, but Bucky's is huge and Bucky's is way overpriced. But, you know, as a kid, you loved it when your family stopped at Stuckey's. You know, it was a place on the side of the road. It had, you know, like touristy kind of stuff for the area, wherever you're at. Like if you're up in Arkansas, it had a lot, a lot of hillbilly stuff. And one of my favorites was that they had what they showed to be like a little wooden outhouse. It was about eight <laughs> inches tall. 
And if you open the door on it, there was a, 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 a standing thing of a guy in there. And you open it up and it would, it would have the guy turn around and it would squirt water on you. <laughs> I think I've seen that. Yeah, a little squirt gun thing. But, you know, I mean, you, you could find that in any kind of little paperweights and whatever else that there. And you'd always find saltwater taffy. Ugh. And, and, you know, the little just the little twist packages that you twist up to open where they would they would open it. It'd be like the w- ungodly blue color or yellow or orange. And they all tasted the same. It's like that peanut butter candy you get at Halloween. It's in the wax paper. I love that stuff. That's twisted up. That, that's not bad. I love that stuff. I, I just like I sit there and said this next year when we get to Halloween, I'm going to sit there and just buy like a a, a crap ton of it. But uh, it's not good for my diabetes. So I don't know. Maybe not. Or my teeth. And, uh, yeah. Ah, anyway, so that, you know, I, I mean, it just got me thinking about Stuckies and all that. Uh, but, I mean, the thing is, the, the the great thing about those shows, of course, is they take you back. Um, and then, of course, they got Give Me Those Star Wars, which is, it's a different subject every time. And, you know, different perspectives on all sorts of things about Star Wars. It's a great network. I like listening to the shows on there. I listen to them as much as I listen to the the various shows on Two True Freaks. And I listen to pretty much anything that I can get my hands on on Two True Freaks, whether it's anything Trentus Magnus is putting out, whether he's punching reality or jabbing reality. Um, the you know Jason Jacanetti has been putting out his uh, bots, bots and babes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've caught up on him. I've been. Uh... Yeah, and, and you know his father's usually on that show, and that's always a lot of fun. It it kind of makes me think a little bit, and I don't want him to take this the wrong way. In the best way, it makes me think of Harry Knowles and his father, in the way that they'd way, way that Harry Knowles had started off. Um, Ain't it cool? News Network with his father, and, and well, no, he didn't start it with his father, but his father was always a fixture of it. Oh, so. you know that his <clears throat> father was a contributor, and you know he wouldn't have what he has if it hadn't been for what his father did in those years before, because his father, you know, had all those old films. His father was just a massive collector that he ran a store, of course. And, um, he knew so many people he knew, I believe he knew Toby Hooper and, uh, had brought in the cast of, uh, Chainsaw Massacre when it was actually in production. Nice. Before it actually been made, and there's a, a story out there, and some people say it's apocryphal, or they just change the the background on that. But I mean, everything that you know in someone's life it becomes legendary. I know that because when my kids talk about the things that I did in my youth, it sounds a whole lot cooler than when I sit there and talk, think about it or talk about it. But you know, it's like I could sit there and say, "Well, okay, I did once catch." or help catch uh, an, an international industrial spy. I also, I also helped, helped uh, catch uh, a couple jewel thieves. I, you know, I cracked uh, uncrackable encryption uh, at my job. You know, I, there's some things that I've done that, you know, I sit there and say, and I, of course I think about it and it's like, it goes, well, it wasn't really that big a deal. I just did this or did that or whatever. But when someone else sits there and says it, it sounds so cool. <laughs> And always, if somebody yeah, just to hear somebody else reiterate it, yeah, or, or to or to put it in their spin, uh, makes a big difference. Well, I never caught any jewel thieves. I don't think um, one day. One day, I'm going to get my dad on uh, to a show, and I want to get him on with with Scott Gardner and maybe Chris Honeywell, because my dad will can tell the story about how my mom saved NASA. 
Oh, yeah, I used to get Scott on for that one. Yeah, I know. I know he'd love to hear that. But you know, the the thing is, you know, Scott reveres the the astronauts and stuff. And my dad, you know, he was a an engineer, and a lot of engineers have a lot of different opinions about astronauts because you know the astronauts were the showboaters, the 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 snot jockeys, the you know the guys that took all the glory when it was all the other people that was doing all the work. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, we already proved that a monkey could do it first before we actually put an astronaut in there. Anyway, it, it'd be it'll be fun to, to to sit there and get that get that together. That would be interesting. That'd be an interesting story. Well, you uh, since you mentioned Star Wars, I'm going to ask you, uh, and I don't think we discussed this on our. We didn't talk about Last Jedi on our last show, did we? Uh, I, don't I don't think, think we, we did, did on the not on the air. No. Not, okay. Well, first I should say, if you listen to Rifen's, he's got he's got two shows. He's he did uh, is it Jaws with Paul? Mm-hmm. That's I'll a great that. that that's a great show. Yes, and it's one he, of my favorites. Then he did a little, like a 20-minute, his first uh, reacting to the film, I think the second time he saw it. It was kind of a quick, I just got out of the theater, I'm recording this on my phone, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. He brought up some of his issues with it, and that, that that's good to uh, listen to. Uh, and then he supposedly has a commentary that he went back into the theater and recorded yeah. a commentary, but I haven't seen that released yet, so I'm looking forward no. to that. Should be at any time now. Yeah, I think that's going to come on uh, Dinner for Geeks and also his uh, My Star Wars Story. Since we talked, what what uh, you think of the film? I liked it. Um, I know that when I walked out of it uh, for the first time in a long time, coming out of a movie, I had a feeling of wonder and joy. You know, as much as my son. Um, I didn't walk out of the movie with the, you know, because a lot of times I've been walking out of the movie with a, a melancholy feeling that I had not been able to sit there and describe even with Thor Ragnarok, which was a very fun movie. Mm-hmm. I walked out of it, you know, at the same time, as much as I enjoyed it and laughed at it, I was upset, you know, the, the deaths of the warriors three and Odin and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, there, there was so much death and such an end to an era and an age and an ushering in of a new one. Spoilers that- for Thor Ragnarok. Oh God, yeah. I'm sorry, golly. <laughs> I mean, it, it has been out, it has been out a while, but still. But yeah, I mean, you know, and others have talked about this on their shows. But you know, I mean, it, it, that was supposed to be a fun, fun movie, and it was. But once it was over, you know, you're sitting there. It's it's kind of like ripping that bandaid off. You're very satisfied in ripping it off, but in the seconds after that comes the sting and the remorse, and you know, I I, I just kind of got that now. That that being said, I love that movie. I want to watch it, you know, over and over. Want to want to you know catch all the little things in it. But, Thor, Thor, yeah, okay. Thor Ragnarok. I really really enjoyed it. But yeah, you know, at the end, it made me feel sad. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely a. I mean, it had larger implications than the other two movies because that, of the but, way, of where it's going and it, the way I think they're doing it so it fits into. Uh, the Infinity, the Avengers Infinity War that's well, yeah. coming up. But, but see, that's the, that's the thing. You know, I mean, it, 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 we're kind of on a seesaw right now, I think, because, you know, Justice League did something and everybody was happy that it did this. And I think DC is catching on to that and figuring, OK, we got to make sure that our other movies go this route as well. And that is in keeping the humor and the attitude light like Marvel has done all these years. But 
you know, while Marvel has kept the attitude light and everything, Marvel's also said, well, we, we, we know that these characters can't continue to do this all along. So we know that Infinity War is going to have deaths, major character deaths, characters that we love, characters that we really care for, characters that we've invested our time and money in. And so we're going to lose these guys, some of these guys. Don't know who. I mean, we got a couple ideas because – you, we know that contracts are coming up for you know, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, and others, and more likely they're going to find a way of shuffling them off the mortal coil or at least changing them enough that someone else can play, play the part. So, you know, I mean, the, we see that DC is sitting there going, okay, well, let's, let's inject some humor. Let's make it a little lighter. Let's bring back that almost Christopher Reeve kind of feel to things. And we're going to be seeing that in these DC movies as the next couple of things come across. Have you heard what um, uh, Zach Levi was talking about as far as playing in Shazam? No, I haven't read it. The only thing I knew about Shazam was I knew uh, The Rock was going to play Black Adam. That's just, as well, far as that as I delved into that. They, they've moved up the, uh, the date on Shazam. So it happens before Black Adam comes out. And Black Adam may not even be in the first Shazam movie. And Zachary Levi says that if, if you want to sit there and compare this to any other movie right now, you need to compare it to big. And I, I mean, I, of course that is, I mean, it's a no brainer thinking about that, you know, the, the, you know, him becoming Shazam. And so Zachary Levi is going to have to pull a Tom Hanks. I just hope that he's good enough to sit there and look at his co-star that's playing Billy Batson to pick up the mannerisms and pick up the things that Billy Batson does rather than having the kid playing Billy Batson pick up on his. Well, normally, and I'll include big in this, whenever an adult is playing a child of mm -hmm. a certain age, they always, to me, play it younger. If you're playing like a 12-year-old, they always play it like they're maybe seven or eight. They always go too young. Uh, they need to be a little more subtle about the way they do it. I think Tom Hanks plays his character a little younger than how that kid is. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't play that kid. He did. He didn't play yeah. the kid that that he played. But I mean, and still, he got an Oscar nomination for the role. Yeah. Well, you know, he's he's good at it. But I think that's that's a hard, it's a hard role to play. You know, yeah. it would be similar to uh, what was the direct, the animated movie that came out that was based on the Jim Lee uh, first couple issues or six or seven issues of the new Justice League. Is it Justice League War? War. Yeah, War. So it is. Well, you, I never you get, watched it. It's not bad. You get uh, the animation style is a little. It's not really Jim Lee. It doesn't look like his artwork, but it's more of a. It has more kind of a hard edge kind of anime look. But the Billy Batson in that is, you know, he's he's Shazam, but he's playing it. He acts like, oh, basically, I'm a little kid. So yeah, and, and, like and you know, of, the thing is, they're playing him kind of like Captain Marvel from the just the JLI era, you know, the Bwahaha era. Yeah. Well, see, that um, was never the case in the Shazam TV show. When he became no. Shazam, he was an adult. Right, right. And, and I mean, you know, the, it's only within the last 20, 30 years that they're really allowing – I mean, it's basically since JLI that, they have, that they're really throwing that, that childish naivete, you know, the kid. It's the kid with all the man stuff. But the thing is, it's like even when they introduced – Captain Marvel into DC. And the first time they'd actually introduced him, it wasn't as Captain Marvel, it was Captain Thunder. Hmm. Did you, did you ever read that comic? No, it, was, no. uh, it was, 
uh, early 70s, and it was Carrie Bates, Kurt Swan, and I believe uh, Murphy Anderson doing the inks. And it, this was back when that work was was so beautiful to watch, you know, because it, it still had some excitement to it. Uh, I know I've been critical of Kurt Swan's work in the last couple of months, so I definitely want people to realize that I really do love and respect the work that Kurt Swan did uh, on Superman. But he has got such a huge library of work and some of it especially the early stuff had a lot of zing to it mm -hmm. whereas the later stuff was he you know, he was bored he was just punching the clock and uh but with this story with captain thunder you know it, they they had to change thing they i don't know why they felt they had to change things but instead of keep being captain marvel's captain thunder and the thing was he had to rub his belt buckle and say thunder in order to, to for the lightning bolt to strike him and uh, instead of having a, I'm just, having, just, ima just can imagine what that would look like. <laughs> rubbing yeah, his belt buckle. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so you know he was being taken over by that book's version of Doctor Savannah, and so when Superman had had the Billy Batson kid, and it wasn't Billy, but it was a different name. And instead of having a lightning bolt on the chest, he actually had a sun sunburst on the chest. But um, they uh, to, in order to get captain thunder to stop you know get out of control basically superman had to get the kid and say okay i'm gonna hold you in this this body lock here and you can change into captain thunder and then we'll make get him to force the wisdom of solomon or w w of whoever to take over and that's what they did and ultimately he was able to get get him to use the wisdom that was in there because once he turned into Captain Thunder, he was a completely different person that had access to all these ment mental and physical capabilities. Well, I think that's the premise of the TV show, the live action show from the right. 70s that he had uh, whatever the his his name, you know, whatever, you know, he had all those attributes at once Billy Batson became Captain Marvel. Uh, or was, it, was he called Captain Marvel in the TV show? Was he Shazam? Yeah. He was no, Shazam, he was, wasn't he? He was called Captain Marvel. Now, the the only the reason why it's Shazam now is because Marvel is making a Captain Marvel movie, right? And they can't, they don't. That's why he's called Shazam now instead of just saying Shazam. Yeah, and and I'm yeah, and and th that doesn't make any sense because he gets his powers from the Wizard Shazam. So there's already a Shazam out there, and I don't understand why they don't just call him Captain Thunder. But that's me. That's forty years yeah. worth of Captain worth Thunder of is kind here. of a Captain Thunder is kind of a dorky name, but be <laughs> <laughs> that. I think my only my only uh, exposure to, to Shazam was one the, the TV show. I would watch that in uh, ISIS, which was like the Power Hour or whatever they called it, um, and then in from Legends. Yeah, when John Byrne did that. Other than that, I mean, I, I've never read. I don't have a Shazam comic. I don't think I've read one. Well, I, I didn't read any of the Shazam comics on their own, but I did read, you know, when they, when they showed up in uh, DC Comics Presents or in some other thing, of course, I was always excited because I was like, here's a guy that looks like he's just as strong as Superman. Well, and in a, in a way, he's he's as strong. And, and well, you, if you've read uh, Kingdom Come, when he's kind of kicking the snot out of Superman because he's using his magical lightning bolt to blast mm -hmm. Superman. Yeah. You, you know, this is something that's, that's gone back and forth all over the various podcasts. And I mean, it's been a subject that's been under debate for years as far as Superman's weakness to magic. To magic. 
And what I would say is this, it doesn't mean it, it, it it's kind of like everybody seems to think that that magic to Superman is like yellow to the Green Lantern, you know, that he's completely powerless to it and that it, you know, it, it, it completely beats him every time. No, it just makes him normal. In that regard, if it's a magic knife, it can cut him. If it's a right. magic, you know, something like that. But that doesn't mean that he can't fight against it. That doesn't mean that it's always physically stronger than him. And yeah, it's, you know, it's not kryptonite. It just means, that, like you said, it uh, like in that great uh, burn annual from uh, Action Comics where he he teams up with Batman. It's all that Art Adams uh, art, yeah, where the the vampire scratches him. Right. You know, it's like. Yeah, he can just he can he can he can defeat her. He would anybody else, but if that was anybody else, you know, then he he wouldn't be scratched. You know, he couldn't be harmed, but because it's supernatural, and like you said, it it just kind of renders him as a normal person. Right, even the playing field, but he still has an opportunity. He is Superman. He's going to find a way. You know what? What's interesting about that Captain Marvel TV series? No, other than it's the guy rode around with an old man in a Winnebago. <laughs> Do you know um, the the who was the voice of Hercules? Oh gosh, I haven't seen the. Uh, I couldn't. No, it was Adam West. Seriously? Yeah, that's cool. Adam West was the voice of Hercules. Uh, Norm Prescott was the voice of Solomon, and uh, those are the only ones I could find on IMDb. But Norm Prescott was uh, like a producer. Of, of a lot of stuff, including, you know, the Star Trek animated series, you know, all those filmations, Superman and Aquaman, mm -hmm. Bad Albert, and, you know, just ton of stuff. And then he would do, you know, voice work uh, whenever he had to. So he was the voice of Mr. Sampson on, on the Kid Superpower Hour with Shazam, or uh, he was the voice of Theodore Bear on Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll. Is he the voiceover in Arc 2? That other live action post apocalyptic kind of show? No, no, I don't. I don't know who did that. Let me see if I can find out real quick. The guy so, that played Shazam always reminded me of uh, Gil Gerard for some reason. I always thought they were. I'd get those two mixed up. Well, just that short haircut and they kind of you know that kind of beefy build. And hmm. Gil, Gil Gerard could have played Shazam. Yeah, yeah, he, could. Uh, he was he was pretty uh, he was pretty stocky. Yeah, but he yeah. could have you know he could have played him in kind of a uh, a Silver Age kind of drawn. Superman, like you were talking about Kurt Swan, they kind of barrel-chested kind of... Yeah, well, the Wayne Boring Superman was always really stocky, barrel-chested, more, more so than anything Kurt Swan had done. And uh, what was uh, what was the name of the the computer or whatever it was that you're talking about on ARC 2? The, well, the I don't know if he was a voice of the computer, but there was a there was a voiceover in the beginning of every episode to kind of explain what was going on. Oh, and I think okay. that was I don't think it was the um, because the monkey talked too, but I don't know who did the, the monkey. I don't know who voiced. Uh, I think it was Adam the monkey. That was yeah. Lou Scheimer. Oh, and Robbie the robot was in one episode of Art Two. Yeah, Robbie Robert's been everything. He was in. A, yeah. He was an episode of Columbo. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, so you liked you liked Last Jedi. I liked Last Jedi. Did you I like really it? Love that last act. Thoroughly love that the last act in the movie. Um, Did you like it better than Force Awakens? I don't know yet. Right it's now, I, I, right now, I'd rather watch it than the Force Awakens. Um, but I, I think that's you know to get to be able to absorb everything from it and, and knowing what you know in hindsight to sit there and look and see what else you can pick up. 
Yeah, I think I need and I need to see it again because I'm still kind of processing it, and, and it's been well, it's been I guess two weeks since I've seen it, so I need to to take another look at it and kind of because a lot of times I will see a film and I will enjoy it more. I think I enjoyed The Force Awakens a little more the second time I've seen it than mm. the first time because the first time I you just wanted it to not suck. Yeah, <laughs> and it was and it, and I didn't hate it. I don't hate any of these. I don't hate uh, the Last Jedi. I don't think it's a bad film. And I don't want to say I'm disappointed, but I, I think that's the that's the closest I can coming out that I feel disappointed. And it's not in a kind of a fanboy kind of well, they didn't do exactly what I wanted them to do, uh, kind of a way. There is nothing that was done in this movie that, aside from one character death, that cannot be undone. But the beauty of it is the one character death that is done, he can still be back. Yeah, now, okay. I, you know, I'm talking this, about yeah spoilers. Spoilers for the Last Big Jedi. Spoilers, <laughs> but I'm sure everybody's seen it. And now the thing is, like Luke died at the end. Luke went on to you know Luke's going to be a Force ghost, and it, basically he what he told Kylo Ren is going to come back with him going Henry the Eighth, I am, I am <laughs> Henry the Eighth, I am. You know, in his bedroom every night when he's trying to sleep. <laughs> I mean that that's that's from Ghost. If you if you didn't ever watch that movie. Um, Patrick Swayze doing that to uh, Whoopi Goldberg, yeah, yeah, to get her to help him. But I mean, you know, it's, it's it's that's what he's told Kylo Ren. Now, my question is, my my question in all this is, why didn't anybody sit there and think, hey, you know, Anakin Skywalker is now a Force ghost. Why don't we just have him go tell Kylo Ren the error of his ways? Because if he is worshiping at the Church of Darth Vader. Who better than Darth Vader to come forward and say, uh, you're doing it wrong. No, but, but you understand what I'm saying. It's like, why why couldn't they get Anakin as a force ghost to come in and tell Kylo Ren, uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of wrong here in all this. Uh, here's what really happened. Because it, it, it seems apparent that, you know, I mean, Kylo Ren wants to, to complete Darth Vader's noble work, but Darth Vader turned his back on it. Well, yeah, I never, I guess I never thought of it that way, but the... The fact that I don't know what the rules are for Force Ghosts. I don't know. Obviously, Yoda can come back. I don't know if why isn't. Not only can Yoda come back, but Yoda did things in this movie that we had not seen Force Ghosts do. The only Force Ghost that we had seen previously in any kind of action in the movie was Ben Kenobi. And he didn't physically affect anything, he just showed up, said things, you know was gone once once he'd finished talking. Well, he said some stuff. In, in Empire, he says, if you go up against Vader, I can't I can't intervene. In other words, right. I can't I can't come in and and distract Vader or something like that. I can't I can't I can't help you. So, but uh, I don't know. Maybe with maybe because of the place, it, maybe because where they were at, Yoda was able to harness the Force somehow as a ghost. Maybe just because he was a more Force sensitive. Well, and look, being at what Luke, look at what look at what Luke did, though. No, I mean, it, just think about the mental energy necessary to create those dice that he gave to Leia. Well, just to project himself, however far he is across. Yeah. But we've seen from 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 the beginning with Force Awakens, we see Kylo Ren stop that blaster bolt, and yes. that seems to be a bigger feat than we've ever seen anybody else do, uh, even you know Anakin or. Uh, uh, well, I guess, I guess you can count that when when Vader is bla- uh, deflecting the bolts 
right. and Cloud City. You can you consider that, but but deflecting is one thing. To hold in place, right? That that's much energy. Just, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of power. And yeah, I mean, what what they what they said here is that is that you know Ben and Ray are both so incredibly powerful, and they demonstrated so much during this movie. Golly, you know, I, the, the thing is, is like what we've got here now is a clean slate for the next movie. And all the only question that they have to answer for us is how are they writing Princess Leia out? Yeah, I think they'll, they'll, they can they can easily come up with either they'll either kill her off or they just won't ever see her. And I don't know if they'll actually kill her off. They might if they want to maybe give her into Decimania or something. But you're right. They've kind of cleared off the old... Uh, kind of the old guard. I mean, uh, all the uh, all the old baggage is kind of gone, and now it's this new generation. Just part of my problem with Force Awakens that I thought that film had too much baggage because it had Han and Leia, and it had to connect those and kind of reintroduce these characters. That that kind of that hampered the film a little bit. In this film, I think I like Force Awakens better. Because in the Last Jedi, just from not not if you take it just as a film alone, not not as a Star Wars film. If this was a standalone sci-fi film, I think some of the writing is bad. I think some of the pacing has got some problems. Uh, the humor is what I objected to, and that was the same in The Force Awakens and this one. the The humor is not it's not organic. It is absolutely t- it, that that what? first. As funny as that first joke was with Hux, see, I don't me, think that it, I didn't think it that took was me right funny. Out of the movie. Yeah, I don't think it was one. I didn't think it was funny. It felt like a Saturday Night Live skit, and it did. It took me right out. I mean, it's like, oh come on, this does not belong in a Star Wars film. I mean, there could be humor in a Star Wars film, but it needs to come out of the humor of the character, not some guy doing a uh, like a. Mm-hmm. A knock-knock joke. Yeah, exactly. Or a prank call, or whatever he's doing. Yeah, yeah. That's it's not uh, candy gram. <laughs> and that, and there was more of that throughout the rest. That I thought some of Finn's humor in the first in the Force Awakens was the same way. Uh, and I thought there were just some kind of squandered. Uh, it felt disjointed. Well, it felt know, the, the thing that the thing that took me out of it more than anything else was starts with an H. General Hux. Yeah, starts with an H. When he said that, that took me out. I mean, that's like, oh, oh, you know, it's it's using an English term, you know, the designation for a letter. You know, it's it's, who knows what they're speaking there, interlac or some common tongue or whatever. But what he just says, no, they speak English there, and, and and we're just hearing English, and that's it. And so you've got the whole alphabet now. Well, it's a, it felt like a replay of that first scene when. Kylo Ren captures him in Force Awakens, and you know he and they've got him. He says, "Okay, who talks first? You talk or I talk?" I'm like, "That's not, <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's not. That doesn't belong there." And you know that's just my, you know, if, if that's just my opinion on that, and that's and I, and I think you know the, the the fanboy reaction. Well, that's that's not my Star Wars. That doesn't belong. You know, you shouldn't change it. It should be exactly the same. But I think just as a as a film, that's a problem. That's problematic. And I think some of the well, character. You know, the first movie, everybody complained because it was so much like Star Wars. I mean, not everybody complained, but the people that complained the loudest complained because it 
you know, recreated certain things and 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 aped the original Star Wars in, in, in a lot of ways. So the second time around, they come in and they change everything and everybody's upset because they changed everything. Well, I think it still apes some of the... It, it's, I think it has a lot of the feel of Empire in it. The, the, the long chase, the, the you know, uh, um, Ray on... Uh, training with Luke is like Luke training with Yoda. A lot of that is, uh, I mean, there there are certainly beats that they're picking up on from Empire. I don't know. I I, I, I'm, I didn't come out. You said you came out with a kind of a sense of joy. I didn't come out with that at all. I came out thinking, do I really want to see another one of these films? Hmm. And that is that's terrible <laughs> to come out of a, a franchise yeah. that you love to think. I don't know if I want to see another one of these. And I keep going back to Rogue One. And I know a lot of people have kind of dismissed Rogue One like they didn't really need it. It was, you know, it was an okay film. I love that film. I will watch that film over I like, these I like two. I like it more each time I watch it. Yeah. I think it feels like Star Wars. I have more emotional uh, connection with the characters in it. I mean, yeah, I know it's a one long film about sacrifice, but I think that's what I, I connect with it. And I and that last, I think that last battle scene mm-hmm. on... Uh, wherever the, the the data planet I can't remember the name of it now yeah yeah uh, that is better than the scene it's better than this last battle scene on Spice World with uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the walkers because to me that scene just kind of you know the, the whole movie is okay we're in this long protract, uh, prolonged chase uh, Finn and uh, his sidekick have to go off on a mission which I think could have been I agree with Rifen that could be excised from the film it doesn't make a difference the Kendo bite stuff yeah but at least we got to see George Lucas oh was he in there he I was didn't. the guy putting coins in the BB-8 oh I didn't <laughs> I didn't pick up on that I think it was just yeah. because it was like why is this why is this this here there's no there's no reason for this and then suddenly you're kind of coming to the end you're like oh wait a minute no we got I kept thinking oh, wait a minute we've got some walkers in here somewhere and we haven't seen these what is it's like? Oh, we 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 never end the film. We got another end coming up. So then he's like, "Oh, here's a planet. We'll land on it." And then they show up with these walkers, and it seemed kind of rushed and kind of tacked on. It didn't, you know, think of the the walker attack in Empire. And this film, and this is just kind of. I'm having a hard time verbalizing what I'm talking about, but it just seemed. Well, I mean, to me, it did exactly what it needed to do. You know, you had. Uh, an incredibly small ragtag group of people with oh, no equipment, no no resources whatsoever, trying to defend themselves in this thing. And I mean, it, it demonstrated that, especially with those the the things that are they're trying to fly. You know, they they were just little pieces of crap. It was like you know a pinto with a, a potato gun. You know, there's the and they were going up against these gigantic tanks that were just unstoppable and. I mean, it, it set the tone and everything for that. It said, it basically said they're they're not getting out of this. There's no. no way they're getting out of this. I've heard I've heard people say, and I agree with this. That do you feel that the first order feels small? You know, when when we in the first film we talk about the the empire, you knew it was all encompassing. It was everywhere. The first order feels like it's a tiny little group. It feels very confined. Almost as small as the uh, the rebellion, which is now down to what fifteen people or whatever mean they are now. It doesn't seem to be big scope, you know. It doesn't seem like the first order is everywhere. Yeah, well, you know, Scott Rifen 
actually nailed it for me. And, and what he said, because he said the first, the first order is not the empire, because all it is is just the extremists. You know, it is just, I mean, it is basically the KKK of the Star Wars universe. And so, you know, they, they've got people, of course, that have joined it because they agree with them and they get everybody else that was just indoctrinated. But don't you feel that the but the rest of the the republic is gone? Don't you feel that they have taken over? Well, and that that did raise a, another question for me. But I mean there there I mean there really is no republic. Was it Coruscant that got that got wiped out in the Force Awakens? I think that's what they blasted in uh, with their uh, the Death the Starkiller base. And so did all the planets of the republic exist in like one small star system? No, that was because just the capital, I guess. Yeah, and so I mean, they couldn't have wiped out the entire. They wiped out the capital, and the outlying areas of the capital, the bureaucratic stew, I guess, if you will. But the the thing that that made me that you made me think of here, and this is the one thing I didn't understand. Um, at the end of the Force Awakens, the Star Killer base sucked up the star right there. Mm-hmm. So that it could fire on the planet that had the rebel base, right? The resistance right. base, right? Right. So at the beginning of The Last Jedi, they're trying to escape. The planet still got sunlight. Is How's that, that the planet? Is that the... See, I, yeah, <laughs> I, do, I need to see every, this film again. Everybody was making a, a, a joke about it, you know, how it was killing everything that J.J. Abrams did. Because what did they do? They went in and wiped out J.J.'s base at the, at the very beginning. And this was the, the, the resistance base they used in, in The Force Awakens. So I, I do need to see this film again because I, I remember the, them trying to get off the planet and then and with the whole bomber sequence. Because the other unusual thing about this movie is that it picked up right where the last one left off. You know, it picked up right where Force Awakens left off. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, Ray they're, handed Luke the, the, the lightsaber, the First Order going after the, the resistance base. And it's just like they seem to forget, hey, the sun is gone. There's no star here. Nine minutes from now, it's going to be pitch black and it's going to turn into, you know, nuclear winter. No, no, that doesn't, that won't happen. <laughs> we'll use the force and we'll, uh, we'll use, get it back. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Well, I got two questions. Okay. How does, how does Finn know how to fly those little uh, spice skimmers or whatever they are? We established in the first movie that when he's trying to escape from the when he decides that I don't want to be a stormtrooper anymore, he can't get off because he doesn't know how to fly. He has he needs Poe Dameron to fly the Tie Fighter because he says I'm just a you know I just shoot. Well, then I guess later it's established that he's just a janitor. Yeah, and, and why, why and would a janitor that, go? Why would a janitor go into battle? But, well, yeah, you know, and it's funny because in in the Force Awakens, yeah, he's the guy that escaped. He's the the janitor. He's all that. And he doesn't seem to have much self-confidence. But in this one, he's got the self-confidence that Luke had in Empire Strikes Back. You know, yeah, Luke had but, that but How does he know how to... Confidence, but I've been doing this for a while. I've been doing this for three years. And so I may not be a Jedi, but I'm well on my way. But how does he know how to fly He knew those... everything. He, that, that's, that's the one thing that, that you know, where, where they used to say that Ray was the Mary Sue... In, in The Force Awakens that 
that Finn was the answer man in this as far as everything that the First Order is concerned. He knew how they did everything. He knew, yeah. you know, he knew every every secret of theirs. And I can understand there, that they're supposed to have this indoctrination that, that programs them into being who they are. And maybe that's why he knows so much. But it just seems like it was too much. Like he had he had too much information at his fingertips. Well, it's the same as he knew. Well, he explained it before in Force Awakens. He was the janitor. That's why he knew how to cycle through their shields or whatever whatever they did to to, to get Han Solo in there. Right. I don't know. There's a lot of things that you could nitpick. There, there, there are just so many things you could nitpick. Uh, right. And I can. If, nit- you, if, if you go back to the original trilogy, you're going to find a thousand things you can nitpick too. But after all these years, those things don't matter. We've got a willing suspension of disbelief for a reason. That's true, and and the the thing was like say take Star Wars the original, I'm you, you could go through there and somebody who had never seen it watch it and go okay here's the problems with this movie you know A B C D yeah. live down the list, and I'm an, I and I can watch that and go yes I acknowledge that there was a problem with those with this but I will never be able to watch Star Wars and not watch it as a twelve year old I cannot change that so I it it's it's that's Paul brought up and. And uh, is it Jaws when he was saying Rifle was saying, well, how can you compare? Is it unfair to compare these films to the original films? That's not fair. And I think to a certain extent that is true. But my, a lot of my problems with the film were just as a film alone, not as, as part of a Star Wars trilogy or part of this bigger picture. A lot of my problems were just as a actual the the, the produced film as it was. I think it you will never you're never going to capture you're never going to be able to recapture that feeling of being 12 and watching the original film in a new film and i think if you try to when you when you use that as your measuring stick it does like boss it does become a little unfair i I have to disagree now i I, and i'll say i can point to one movie that made me well two movies it made me feel like a kid again but you know this this is a rare thing and that is tomorrowland and Speed Racer. And most of you are sitting there going, Speed Racer? <laughs> you know, the Wachowskis made that movie, what, 10 years ago? And most of the public just laughed it off and walked away. But as someone that watched that series over and over in my childhood, that loves Speed Racer, has all the DVDs, it's got a, I've got a movie standee up in my attic just waiting for me to put it here in the room somewhere without the room to have it. When I watched that movie, I was a kid again. I mean, I, it was just like I was watching the cartoon, and they paid homage to all those things. You know, the way Inspector Detector's beard would move from one side to the other, the way they made these long, impassioned, but unsense, nonsensical speeches towards each other, the way Pops would spin somebody up in the air as he's fighting with him. You know, it just, they captured all the things about Speed Racer that I remember. But sure, I, I think the difference is, I, I think the difference is, that's, yes, I'm, okay, I guess I, I'm going to explain myself right. I can watch a film now and feel like a kid again. Mm-hmm. I can't watch a Star Wars film and feel like I did when I saw the first Star Wars. So with Speed Racer and Tomorrowland, those are new films that aren't necessarily attached to something you saw previously as a child. I mean, granted, Speed Racer, but I think the mediums are so different that you can kind of separate them. If they had made mm-hmm. a Speed Racer live-action Speed Racer movie, you know, you were 10 or 11, you love that, and they made a new one now, I think that's hard to recapture that same feeling. Right. I and agree. I, I think Speed Racer is... Uh, I wasn't necessarily uh, wild by it when I first saw it, but I'm 
on subsequent viewings, I think it is a little um, underrated. Mm-hmm. And in Tomorrowland, I think that that movie just, you know, either, and this sounds insulting to those that did not get it or enjoy it, is that I think that, that Tomorrowland is a movie that if you still have that that youthful, idealistic spark in you, if you still have that capability of becoming a kid again, that it's going to reach you. If you don't, and it's, that's no shot against anybody that doesn't, but if you don't, you're just going to walk out of that movie going, I didn't get it. Yeah, that, you know, that's that's with any film. You It's either uh, a film is either going to reach you or not, and some films are... You can have a film that's, and I'll point out Tarantino films because I'm not a t- necessarily a Tarantino fan. He makes well-made films, but they're not for me, so I don't enjoy them. Not, but that's not saying they're a bad film, but yeah. they're just not. They're not made for me. I'm at his core audience. So, and and when I heard he was gonna, he wanted to do a Star Trek film, I'm like, uh, no, keep Tarantino away from my Star Trek. Well, you you should watch. Um, golly, what was that one? Uh, Something Brown with Pam Greer in it. Because that's that's based off of uh, I believe an Elmore Leonard novel, mm-hmm. and that's so that's that's the one film of his that I like a lot. So if you look at that, Jackie Brown you can like that. I think yeah yeah I think that you can do the same with Star Trek because he, number one he's not writing this, he's got other guys coming in to write it. Well, I, I heard he, it. He wasn't going to direct it, but it was going to be based on his story, and somebody else would write it. But based on yeah. So, so I mean, the thing is, is like he's not writing the dialogue. He's not going to sit there and throw the MF around like they do on Discovery. <laughs> yeah, that's that's but, another. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and you know, it's like all all of my theories on Discovery are coming true. And it took a while, but it, it's it's like you know, Beth and I were sitting there coming up with with stuff in, on that, and I I think that's a discussion for another time. Though I want to see what happens these next couple weeks before I really talk about Discovery. But I'm enjoying that show. Uh, I watch it, and I'm not. I thought, have, are you caught up on the newest season? Yeah. Okay, this is spoilers for Discovery. Who may haven't watched that? I've only seen the first one. Mm. I was surprised how quick they went to the mirror universe, which is a, a storyline that I think it's a little overused in Star Trek. It's like, but, uh, but the thing is, the whole concept behind Discovery goes back to. I mean, it goes back to the Tholian web, all right? The, in, the, in the Tholian web, the Defiant disappears, right? Right. And then we find out on Enterprise that the Defiant went off to the Mirror Universe. And back in time. And back in time. And so Archer and them get a hold of it and, of course, take it for the uh, whatever the group is. It's not the Federation, but, you know, um, the Empire. And that affects all the future going up to where they are now, which is Discovery. Somehow that's affected the the Prime universe as well, or at least Prime characters. I think Lorca was from the Mirror Universe all along. But that's just me. <laughs> well, he just they're playing him as just more of a you know, this is your a, maverick, your a real maverick. Right. This is your this is the dark, gritty, uh dark alley uh of Star Trek where you know, it's not the utopian society uh, where, where, you know, it's it's not, I don't know, it's a little too warlike to me, but uh, we don't know what, the, we don't know how, uh, when Archer discovered the uh, the, the Intrepid, how okay. that, af- the Defiant, excuse me, 
not the Intrepid. Um, when the Defiant went back in time in that, that two-parter in Enterprise where they discover it and then, of course, he gets killed and Yoshi takes over, we don't know how that, you know, they were hinting that she was going to become Empress because right. she had a, a, a stronger ship. Right. We don't know how that affected the timeline because we don't see that timeline in uh, the, the, the Star Trek original series timeline, that the 2260s. Right. Or the 23, 2260s. Because, as we established on Deep Space Nine, the effects that were taking place in the Mirror Mirror when Spock took over, that the Empire was defeated by the Klingons and the, uh, the Bajorans, or the Kardashians. The Klingons and the Kardashians defeated him. So when they have all those Mirror Mirror episodes in DS9, the Empire's fallen and the, the humans are subjugated uh, by the Klingons and the Kardashians, so we don't know. Of course, that's 80 years or 90 years or 100 right. years in, in front of Discovery, so... But even before the te- the Kelvin timeline, de- you know, deviates, it already looks different, you know? What what we're told is because of the, the changes in the Kelvin timeline that the visuals in the movie look so different because they were forced being at war or being in, in the threat of war all the time to make all these advances and to change to a more militaristic, warlike, you know, situation. Well, see, that's the thing. I was told that this is not based on the Kelvin timeline. That right, this right. is based on the original right. series. And, what, and in what they're saying, what it looks like they're saying is that the the prime timeline has been modified going back at some point. But if they haven't established, we, we just don't know what has, we don't know what has. We know something from the mirror, mirror universe has come in and had an effect on it. Okay, so I don't know if they were explained. That's that's what threw me off because it looks so much like the the Kelvin timeline with the, with the technology um, and the way it's filmed and its storylines. I actually like the look of it better than the movies. It's it's got a great it's got a great production value I think but yeah. I, what throws me off is all the technology is I know you have to because you can do more you can't mm-hmm. make it look like a '60s you can't make it look like uh, the '60s Star Trek the black and gunmetal and all that right yeah. but at least the I felt when Enterprise did it they had you know obviously effects were more advanced but they they made the ship That's appear right. to true true to be at least. Uh, a more primitive technology than what you saw on Kirk's ship. Yeah. And with Discovery, it's like, oh no, this is stuff that's even beyond next gen. I mean, this holog- I mean, this is like hologram this, hologram that, and we can do this, and we can do that. And um, so, again, I know I sound like it, just like a, a kind of a petulant fanboy. It's like it's not my Star Trek. I mean, I watch it. I'm not. I don't know if I'm. Enjoy- I don't know if I'm enjoying it or not. I'm. I'm obviously still watching it, so I'm getting something out of it, but. Well, I, I'm um, enjoying it. You know, I, again, you know, I'm I'm a lot more easygoing than most people when I walk into a movie. It's, it it, it really, a movie has to really do something bizarre to kick me out of it, to piss me off, to make me dislike it. And there's only a few movies that have really done that: Space Camp, Time Cop, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein. You know, um, what, do you, what do you got against Time Cop? Okay, uh, let's put yourself in the position of the hero, Jean Claude. Uh, Van Johnson, or, yeah, uh, he he basically, of course, loses his wife, right? And he lives fifteen years of his life lamenting the loss of his wife, 
a broken heart, so broken that he doesn't sit there and and find comfort in the arms of any other woman that would probably be you know drenched in spit to to you know get with him because he's Jean Claude Van Damme, right? Mm-hmm. And then he finds out, oh no, someone traveling through time is the one that killed my wife, and he goes back and he saves her. All right, right. And so then he travels in his time machine back to present day, and he comes home. And there's his wife and she's there and he's all happy. Oh, my God, my wife is alive. But he's still not the guy that's been with her the last 15 no, years. Well, well the, the the bigger problem is suddenly he has like a 10-year-old child that he cannot relate to at all. He knows nothing yeah. this is, about this, this is kid. more tragic. This is incredibly tragic because he still lives with the with her death than, than everything else. Yeah, he brought her back, but he has no memory of the time that she's been back. He killed that that version of himself. That version of himself was killed in the time stream, the version of him that was probably a happier man. And now you've got a man that is just full of pathos and probably PTSD. That I mean, it just I walked out of that movie just going, what a horrible <laughs> ending. If they had made it so if they had even just said, you know, your 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 mind and everything is going to reform up to the proper time so you'll actually remember her, then I would have felt better about it. Well, maybe it does. That. You don't know that. Maybe maybe he's going to go back. He's got a time machine. He can go back and fix whatever he wants to fix. Right. But the thing is, because he's the one changing it, he's not affected by it. Well, yeah. Well, but that movie is – that movie doesn't aspire to be Star Wars, so I, I, I right. give that movie no, a little no, more and, slack. And, 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 I, and I get that. I do I do get that. It's just, you know, that's that's the the just the, the one thing about it that, that really – and it's right at the end. It kicked me right out, and I was sitting there pissed about that that whole night after watching that movie. And that was a date movie too. Oh, that's so, you know, and of course, you know, she's all like, wow, that was so romantic. He changed time for her. You know, I said, ah, Captain Kirk, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, um, what was the other, the other thing? Space camp, of course, that was just a really, really bad movie. Um, that was never seen space camp. So, Okay, my when I was in college, my roommate worked at the movie theater. He was the guy that spliced the film together that, that came in for every movie. So he'd sit there and create the platter of the movie uh, so that you know, he's the one that – when you see the little cigarette burns that come up every so often, mm-hmm. means a, re- a real change. He would splice it all together so it would be all one full film because they couldn't put it all in one can. They had to send it in like four or five different cans. And then someone would have to assemble them at the movie theaters before they went digital. Yeah. And so he would do all this on Thursday and Thursday night, I would come in around midnight and And he'd say, go to to the theater six and just tell me if it's good. You know, if if the the print is good. And so I'd watch a movie and I watched space camp. So I saw that for free and I still feel like I got ripped (laughs) off. Uh, Never seen, never seen. I mean, that had Kelly Preston in it too. Travolta's wife? Yeah. Oh. Back when she was just the babe. I mean, if you ever watch Mischief, you'll, you you know, whew. Yeah. if you haven't seen Mischief, you should watch it even now. Just don't let Fanula be around while you're watching it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and then uh, Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein was just a, the one redeeming character that they had in there was played by John Cleese and, and spoiler 30, you know, 20 years later, they kill him very early on. Well, yeah, that's how he gets the brain. But, uh, I mean, what they did to Helena Bonham Carter was just, that was the last straw. 
and uh, wound up walking out of the theater. That's the only time I've ever walked out of a theater uh, on purpose because of the mo- because of the movie. You know, we've been talking about everything except for what we're, we're talking about. Yeah, talk we, about. We, need, yeah. we need to get back on track and talk about some uh, some burn comics. Okay, so uh, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, now, you already mentioned earlier Fantastic Four number 241 and also Marvel Team-Up number 100. Now, why are we doing Marvel Team-Up 100? Because there is a backup story uh, in that in that book uh, that has Storm and Black Panther in it, and then it's drawn, and, drawn by Byrne and written by Chris Claremont. So we thought that would be a nice little bonus to go along with this Byrne Fantastic Four Black Panther story. Yeah. Now, this was really interesting, you know, back in the day because, you know, they had that run uh, of of issues of Marvel team up that they worked on together uh, that kind of coincided with other things that they did, like um, some of his work on Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. And um, but, you know, it's like they had a a good a good number of issues. They weren't quite sequential. They were, you know, off and on while he was working on other things there. And then it went like the last issue they did, I think, was the Red Sonia issue. And this one was done quite a bit later. And, yeah, it's December of 1980. So he was right at the end of, of his X-Men run. Of his X-Men run, yeah. That like X-Men so, 140 came out the same month that this one came out. That was a Wendigo issue, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It's called Rage, yeah. It's where he Rage, goes to, yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and then he was, what, working on Captain America? Also, yeah, 252, 252 yeah. was out, yeah. And so, you know, he, the the relationship that he had with Claremont was already, I think, pretty strained. Um, and, and that he would go ahead and agree to do this. Again, it was a 10-page backup story. And, I mean, you, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the story here and see what we think about it. Because, you know, it's, as far as what it is, it's kind of makes you wonder what, what brought this on? Why did they decide to do this? And maybe, maybe you have some insights on that. Cause I, I really couldn't, uh, I really couldn't find anything as to why, I mean, I know kind of what, you know, all you can, all you can think of is maybe that they do, you know, why do writers and artists do stories if it's either they get to work with a character they never, um, they never get to draw on or written before, or maybe it's just a story that, cause the story, I, to, I will say the story is really kind of unremarkable. There's nothing really, um, yeah. Other than other than that, it brings these two characters together that will later have uh, you know uh, ramifications later on, much later in, in the the Marvel universe. But that, yeah, that we'll talk about yeah. everything that happens in the past has to have some effect, of course, on on everything down the road. It's um, called continuity. Oh, they can't let it go. <laughs> Okay, why don't you tell us about well? That's that's our our bonus. We're going to talk about that. I'll talk about that later. You're going to talk okay. us to us about. FF two forty one, FF two forty one. Yeah. Now this, of course, is uh, right at the just uh, a couple months into Burns' uh, run on the Fantastic Four, where he was writer and artist. Um, it came out. Let's see. The it had a cover date of April nineteen eighty two. Its on sale date was January nineteenth, nineteen eighty two. Had a cover price of sixty cents. Right for my birthday. Uh, oh. It's true. Your birthday's coming up. Yep. Frank Canapas was just the other day. Yeah. Mike Carlisle's is coming up. Mine's coming up. Christopher's wow. is coming up. Sarah's is coming up. That's my daughter. Uh, my sister's birthday, of course, was the day before Frank Canapas, who's one month before mine. Too many birthdays gone. Okay. Uh, had a 32-page count, uh, 22 story pages. 
10 pages of ad, and uh, a circulation of 193,332. Oh, that's something new we brought in. It's just uh, something I, I, that I found on the Mar... No, that wasn't Marvel. That was Mike's Amazing World. Oh, he has circulation information? Uh, sometimes, if it's available. Oh. Yeah. And this, of course, was edited by Jim Sneaky Salakrup. And I call him Sneaky because uh, if you've read the, the Burn Claremont X-Men and you, you know he was one of those editors that was always good about putting in the little tags like, hey, this happened in X-Men 132. This, okay, this is this and this is that. And you'd always have like, um, you know, Salacious Salakrup, Sneaky yeah. Salakrup, whatever. And I always remember Sneaky in there. But he was one of the... The kind of stuff they don't do anymore? The kind of stuff they don't do anymore. Yeah. The story title is Render Unto Caesar. Render Unto Caesar. Uh, Writer-artist John L. Byrne. Letterer James Novak. Colorist Glennis Wine slash Oliver. Editors Jim Salakrup and Lance Tooks. And I have to assume that he was the assistant editor at the time. I didn't follow anything on him. I don't recognize the name. Uh, this, of course, was reprinted in uh, Fantastic Four Visionaries Volume 2 trade paperback, which came out in 2004. And it's there's a Fantastic Four omnibus or omnibuy out there right now, isn't there? That covers the entire burn. There, run. I don't. I think it's a. It's it's broken up. I don't think you can get. I think it's yeah, two. That, of them. It's like one and two. That's why I said omnibuy. Oh, because I figured it was it was plural. Uh, it's not omnibuses. That doesn't sound oh, right. By the way, that quote is actually from the Bible. Oh, really? Jesus said it. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's from Matthews 22.21. Now, don't I feel like the dumbass? No. Oh, no, I do. <laughs> I would have th- I would have thought. I, I wouldn't I would have expected it to be from the Bible. Hmm. I, see, I read that. I mean, I, 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 read, I read the Bible when I was um, spending my time in Turkey back in the 80s. Oh. But I don't have that encyclopedia memory anymore. Something's really eaten away at that. I mean, it's like I get new things into my memory and old stuff gets pushed out like Play-Doh. That's how it works. That sucks. Let's see. What else came out this month? We had Bizarre Adventures number 31 was also something Burn worked on. And that was a two-page story called Violence Wears Many Faces. Did you did you happen to catch that movie? I have not. No, I did not. It, it's a two-page story. It's basically uh, a preacher at a church telling people about, you know, he's sitting there saying something to them, getting them all riled up, and it is showing each of them by the face getting riled up. And then they all go off. They're like they're on, on a storm. They're on a warpath, and they go into the library, and they get a bunch of books, and they burn the books. Mm. And that's it. Two-page story, you know, violence wears many faces, yes. Uh, Fanko's Chronicle series, The Daredevil Chronicles. So I have to assume it's a reprint of the Daredevil story that tied over with Ghost Rider. And what if, number 32, what if the Avengers would become the pawns of Korvac? And what I'd found on that, because uh, my, my digital copy of the what if doesn't have the letters page, but apparently on the letters page, it's got a list of what uh, work everybody did because Greg LaRock did the actual artwork but every page was inked by a different ink person. Yeah. And so apparently Byrne inked one of the pages. And I tell you, I, I was hard pressed and I, I think I've got a pretty good eye for his inks on other people's work. 
but I could not just discern. The, the, the closest page I thought that might have been his was the last page, but there was still stuff on there that just didn't have his edge to it, you know? Yeah. Well, it depends on, you know, sometimes yeah. what you're doing. Okay, um, let's see if I want Yeah, I'll go into the synopsis right now. Now, I did pull this synopsis from the Marvel Wiki instead of writing it myself because it was a really uh, concise synopsis. That's okay. I did, I'd say, I did the same with mine, so don't feel bad. All right. Nick Fury and Dum Dum Dugan are visiting the Fantastic Four at their Baxter building to get Reed's input on a strange energy signature that S.H.I.E.L.D. has picked up coming out of Africa, along with Meryl Streep. Scratch that last part. They quickly realize that the signature is coming from the nation of Wakanda, the kingdom ruled by the FF's ally, the Black Panther. Fury admits the reason why they came to the Fantastic Four is because T'Challa would be more receptive to the Fantastic Four coming to investigate over S.H.I.E.L.D. When discussing the situation, Fury also mentions that they picked up a strange UFO that flew over the area when they picked up the energy signatures. When Reed tells him it was the Kingdom of Adelin, when the Fantastic Four assisted in moving it to the moon, the home of the Inhumans, if you remember. Learning this, Fury angrily chews out Reed so, uh, for so reckless an act, pointing out that they could have been blown out of the sky flying over Russian airspace. After Fury and Dugan leave, the Fantastic Four are off in a ship heading for Wakanda. While on board, the Thing tries to impress the team by wearing an Indiana Jones costume, but it is met with only laughter. Soon after they arrive in Wakanda, Ben is suddenly attacked by a group of Wakandan warriors. He did go off on his own. They didn't mention that there. Um, or he got split off from the group. The fight is soon broken up by the Black Panther, who recognizes the, the Thing despite his most recent transformation and invites his old allies into the kingdom. Now, I'll, I'll break away from it for a second. Just a couple issues previously, Reed thought that he had a cure for Ben and puts him under a new ray that was supposed to do it. And all it really did was uh, kind of morphed Ben into what he looked like when he first turned into the Thing, where he was more... Um, Kind of, a lumpy, kind of a lumpy, muddy Do- kind of... Yeah, a, a doughy look to him yeah. rather than rocky. Um, but though, I, you know, it's funny. I had someone sit there. Uh, there was a, a page out there, and I, I wish I'd remember to get a link to it, where they took the thing and they applied different colors to him. And by applying different colors to him, it changed what he looked like. You know, if they made it green or greenish yellow, he would have been more of a lizard thing. Or, you know, they gave, they gave him a bluish hue. He would look like something else. It was just by virtue of the fact that they made him orange that people associated it with being rocky. Oh, okay, I see. Well, yes, true. They never had, well, they, they have later talked about actually established that he's more of a rock-like um, substance. But I guess in the early days, they don't. It could be, it could be, I thought it was more to be akin to like a dinosaur hide or something, wasn't it? Hmm. In those first ones? I don't recall, but that, that would seem to me sense he was just a thing you know there wasn't a, yeah. he was just a thing he was a thing yeah. yeah okay so after reed explains why they're in africa the black panther tells him how a party of russians posing as explorers set out of the tower of Makumba, a mountain in the region some two weeks ago and were never heard from again deciding to check this out the fantastic four disguise themselves as explorers and with a company of wakandan warriors head out into the jungle Unwilling to let his friends go out in the wilderness alone, the Black Panther doffs his costume and follows after them, disguised as one of his own warriors. After two days of travel, the Fantastic Four and their guides make it to the base of the Tower of the Makumba, Tower of Makumba. There they find the Russian camp 
and startling discovery. The Russians have been stripped clean of their flesh, leaving nothing but skeletons behind. No sooner had they made their discovery, they're surrounded by an army of African natives who are dressed in the armor of Roman soldiers. Reed tells everyone to stand down and not use their powers and see what happens, although he commands Sue to turn invisible so she can view things unrestrained in case there is any imminent danger. The Fantastic Four and their guides are taken prisoner and taken inside the tower, where they're shocked to find some of the primitive elevator system that lifts them to the summit. I remember Johnny making the comment about them needing to call Otis, <laughs> which even today, Otis elevators are still pretty prominent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know enough to make that reference. Yeah. There, they're even more shocked to find a Roman-style society has been established consisting exclusively of Africans. They are soon taken to the ruler of this hidden kingdom, a mass tyrant who calls himself Emperor Gaius Tiberius. Okay, I, I'm, that of course always makes me think of James T. Kirk, because it's James Tiberius Kirk, but anyway. I got it, Moving along, when Guy's Tiberius expresses an interest in Frankie, she loses her temper and flames on, blowing their cover. And it says here, but Scolio manages to easily bat her aside. Scolio. Who's Scolio? <laughs> Stripping her of her flame powers in the process. It's, it's the bad guy. That's his name, apparently. When Bad Reen and Johnny try to leap into battle, they're stopped, stripped of their powers as well. Caught in this power nullification as well as Sue, who becomes visible and is taken prisoner along with her comrades. Having had enough of this affront, Gaius Tiberius orders his captives to fall asleep and then orders them to be thrown into the dungeons, awaiting a suitable punishment. Inside a massive cage below the palace, T'Challa revives and recovers parts of his costume that has been hidden among his warriors. Now, what it didn't state here is that his warriors weren't actually people, but robots. And so he was able to open up parts of them to get out his costume. T'Challa revives and recovers parts of his co- Okay, I already said that. Dresses Black Panther once again. T'Challa then breaks out of his cell, intent on freeing his friends. Sue awakens to find herself in a bed. She is soon greeted by Tiberius, who orders her to get dressed and prepare to watch the games. Reed, meanwhile, awakens to find himself locked in a cell with his arms in shackles and none of his stretching power to save him. Elsewhere in the dungeon, the Black Panther finds Frankie Ray suspended over an open flame, in order to free her, the Black Panther attacks the guards in the room. While above, Flavia shows Sue the arena, where she asks Gaius where he and his kingdom originated from. Gaius explains that centuries ago, he was a simple soldier in the Roman army named Flavius Scolio. That's where he came from. Mm -hmm. His troop was sent to explore, it says explode Africa, explore <laughs> Africa, where they soon came across a crashed alien ship. Although the alien on board slew Flavius' comrades, the Roman warrior managed to get to sneak up on the strange creature and slay it. Scolio then stole the alien's armor, which apparently prolonged his life. Deciding to set himself up as an emperor and unto himself, Flavius rechristened himself Gaius Tiberius and set up his kingdom atop the Tower of Macumba, creating his perfect Roman society. Even though he disliked the, native, the, the natives he was forced to make his subjects, having finished his story, Gaius then turned Sue's attention to the arena below, where he is about to force Johnny and Ben to fight to the death. Pretending to be horrified by the possibility of her friends dying, Sue waits until Tiberius has, has his back turned. Seeking to learn the secret of his long life, Sue removes his helmet and is horrified to find nobody underneath. Apparently nothing more but, but a life force is within the armor. Flavia Scolio's essence escapes with the removal of the helmet causing the armor to fall to the ground inert. 
With the death of Scolio, his power over the region fades, causing everything he built to disappear and his subjects to crumble to dust as they rapidly age. At that moment, the Fantastic Four's powers also begin to return. As the realm of Gaius Tiberius crumbles around them, the Fantastic Four, Frankie, and the Black Panther manage to escape. At the bottom of the tower, they're shocked when it suddenly explodes. Reed calls out to Sue, worried she was caught in the blast. She assures him that she is fine, but invisible, as with the apparent death of Tiberius, her robes vanished, leaving her nude. Reed passes her jacket to wear for modesty after hearing Sue's story. He explains how the alien armor preserved guys for so many centuries and it failed when the helmet was removed. With the mystery now over, the Fantastic Four and their allies head back to Wakanda. The end. Good synopsis, even though he didn't write it. Still, good synopsis. Well, you know, it, it glossed over some things, and you know, the 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 pure racism of of Flavius or Gaius Tiberius. I mean, because he called his people monkeys. That was that was one of my notes. That this 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 <laughs> there's there are things there's some things said in this that that would never fly in a current that, comic. Yeah, they wouldn't fly today, and it was just I was just like, man. But, you know, again, it was a different time. They could do things a lot differently. This story was so compressed, wasn't it? I mean, it was just packed. There was not any any big art on any of the pages, was it? No, you had a nice big – you got a couple big – really only the, the only big one. You've got the nicest one other than the – I love the splash page. But that the, the panel where she takes the helmet off and it's revealed that there's no one there, that's a nice page. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, it's just it's it's like you said it's it's yeah th- this would take six issues if they were telling this today. There's a couple things I found interesting here. Dum Dum Dugan. Now his appearance in this is a very complicated one, according to the later stories. Uh, d- did you ever read Original Sins? I didn't, but I know what's revealed. If that's what you're referring to, I've got it. I haven't read it. It's that he's a uh, LMD. Well, Dugan was apparently killed in action back in 1966. And it was suggested that he was replaced by a complex LMD that thought it was Dugan or what uh, New Avengers Volume 4, number 17, revealed is that um, his mind was transferred into the LMDs. Uh, His actual real body was kept alive, very damaged, whatever. But, you know, in kind of a matrixy sort of way, he's controlling the LMDs. Okay. What else we got here? This is just uh, there's history just being talked about and what I what I wrote here, but it's not so important. Uh, this is the first time the Black Panther has seen the thing since he reverted to the earlier form, but he didn't seem to be surprised. I I found it interesting that that nobody talked about Ben being human at all. There wasn't any of the the shock or dismay uh, or uh, joy he's... or anything about him being human. While he was human there, well, I thought it was it was more interesting that when the, the Black Panther says, "Oh, he has changed much since he last met," but yet these are you know the friend he hasn't changed that much. His color is the same. His overall appearance is the same. He's not. He's a little more lumpy. He still only has three fingers. I mean, I don't think that you would ever not think that this is the thing. Yeah. I mean, when when uh, I mean when when the Hulk is was gray and he's Joe Fixit, he still looks like the Hulk. Yeah, but the thing doesn't recognize him. If you read that 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 battle between the thing and the Hulk that uh, Peter David wrote with Jeff Purvey's doing the right the artwork, you know the thing had no clue that that was a Hulk until he spoke at the well, very end. Well, it, well, 
well, to, to that point, he has, did change colors. Now, if the, if Ben Grimm was now, you know, green or red or yeah. purple, yeah. then yeah. But he's the same orange rocky color he's always been. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's just some of uh, uh, some of Claremont's dialogue that he likes to write so much out of it. Do you prefer Ben Grimm in this form or his Rocky form? You know, um, I I always get this feeling that you're you're going to do something, and then because it's comics, you're going to revert back, and it's it's part of that that burn back to basics thing mm-hmm. that we always expected in this era. That when Burn came into something, he was going to change something, and then it was going to get changed back, and it was going to make sense. You know. So, you know, he, he, you know, he did his thing with Ben, but we knew at some point down the road, Ben was going to come back and be the Rocky thing. And what I liked, though, is that it was able to explain or at least it was kind of like doing a new Coke on the thing, because when Byrne took the issue, the book over as full writer artist at 232, he still, for the most part, kept Ben in the character model that we had seen in the previous issues that he had done or that George Perez or that Pollard or the others had done in the books before he was going by that style guide. But after um, the events that, that put him into this and then later when Franklin as an adult fixed Ben back to the original thing form, Byrne then kind of changed the things Rocky appearance to that more of a, a the triangular uh, look about him. I, I don't know how to describe it beyond that. It's, but you know it's, what I'm yeah, talking uh, about? yeah, yeah. It's the, it's that almost they're they're like octagon or pentagon shaped. He's got a certain kind of a five sided, yeah, uh, kind of shape. Rocky that kind of it's almost like he's faceted. Right, right, and and so that was Burns' style on the thing is he was able to give everybody their own look that he wanted to give them rather than staying with the style guide. And this and, doesn't go ahead. But but I mean the thing is the the look that he created for Reed and for Johnny, um, I really liked what he did with them. And then with the thing, you know, it took me a while to get accustomed to it. But in the later years, I find I approve. I I, I like that one more. Than the other ones. Well, he changed. If you look at the way he does read, that evolves. I think the kind of uh, Burns run can kind of be kind of kind of broke up in two halves. And the later, the later read is is much thinner. He's mm-hmm. more lanky the, than the way he was drawn. Him, you know, even here he's a little more muscle muscle bound. But right, um, uh, and he did the same thing with, with Johnny. Yeah, but the thing with the, the with this being. Uh, was the last episode, or the, it was like two two issues prior, he had reverted back to this look, and it doesn't really change his character. I mean, it, it may be just Byrne wanted to draw him like this. You know, he was I want to draw him, you know, as a, kind of a retro version. It doesn't really change his character. He doesn't his power is not lowered. He doesn't change his personality. He's just he doesn't. From my recollection, he's not kind of mopey or. Um, you know, kind of despondent about the fact that he looks this way. He's, you know, he just goes on the way he is until he gets changed back. So, right. But that was, that was the point of all this. I mean, the, the point of this whole thing was to show that Ben preferred to be the thing. If, if you, if you go over the, 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 the run from when he started at two thirty two up until the issue where Franklin gets, you know, turned into an adult temporarily, 
what we what what Reed had figured out from terror in a tiny town to the the, the this event here where he basically tried to to uh, cure him and he became that less evolved version up to the point where Franklin you know turned him back into the thing is that Ben he was subconsciously keeping himself from being cured he wanted to stay right, right. because he felt uh, Alicia would not love him. If he weren't the same. If he wasn't the same, because that's how she fell in love with him. Right. And I think they've kind of backtracked on that now. That's that's I think that was a way of explaining why, you know, he couldn't, and maybe why he could. Uh, they've always again, brought any other explanation that they've come up come back with is just another writer's take on it. Yeah, that's going to change. And you know, I mean, this right here was closer to anything Lee and Kirby had ever come up with than anything that the guys coming afterwards had done, whether it was Walt Simonson or Marv Wolfman did another run back then, didn't he also? And Steve Englehart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Englehart came after – he came after Byrne, didn't he? Yeah, he came yeah. after Byrne. He's the one that came up with the pineapple thing or oh, the, 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 the pine cone, pine cone Yeah, thing. the heavily mutated. Well, I mean yeah. this is not even uh, – because later on, I'm trying to think which run it is, he gets his face slashed by Wolverine. So he's got these scars – Mm-hmm. on his face and he carries for a long time and that does kind of uh, bother him because he's, he feels like his face is kind of and it's, and it's drawn differently depending who's drawing it sometimes he has like no scar tissue and sometimes you can kind of see the kind of pink fleshy part that's underneath his rock sometimes yeah but, uh, but at least that's something that kind of you know stays with him for a while until uh, I don't know who fixes him yeah now I can't um, remember I- I read this from – oh, you, you read the same version I did, the PDF, right? Well, I, that's that's so funny because I remember asking you, so I don't have a copy of this. Can you send me a copy? And then I realized, oh, no, I've got the uh, the digital versions of the Burn Masterworks. So I read your copy, which is scans, mm-hmm. and then what I'm looking at right now is a recolored version. So I don't have uh, – I would, I would like to see that, to see the difference because, you know, the, the, this is the, – the printing of the day – did uh, a dis a minor disservice to Burns' artwork in that it made it look thicker than it actually was. It does make and, it look a little muddy sometimes. Yeah, and and because this story had such compressed panels, so much detail in all the panels, it, it made it even that much muddier. You know, um, so I would like to see the digitally recolored ones uh, to to kind of get an idea of you know, how, how it looks, you know, that way. Uh, I hope that it hurts, uh, helps it more than say like how the digital reprinting hurt the champions reprintings. It does make it look, um, it looks better. I mean, it's clear. I, I, when I read, I said the first time I read it, I read your, the PDF you sent me. Yeah. And that's from, that's from the, uh, the actual scans on the, on the, the DVD. Right. Right. And, like the uh, the story we'll cover cover later. Sometimes when they when they scan those in their older versions, it looks a little. Like I said it looks muddy and it's hard to. It, it's hard to read it sometimes. Upon the actual book that they're scanning. Yeah. You know, um, and I mean, you know, you've got this digital copy of it in its current shape, but it's never going to look better unless you can find an actual digital reprint of it. But the digital reprint's got to be done right, also. Otherwise, it's going to look wrong like those like those champions issues when they when they did those i i i cannot bring myself to read the digital copies of the champions issues 
Well, some of that is I'm looking at I'm kind of, I'm, I'm comparing them right now, looking at them. and the, the main difference is the color is the same. It's just a little more vibrant, except uh, the, the Ben's pants are a little more kind of a, a light khaki or dark khaki, and then they're dark brown. Yeah. In the, um, in the other ones, but uh, and there's more blue and black panther than there is gray. But okay, now I got to uh, you know I'm going to start looking at page by page here, but we'll go try and go quick here. But uh, the first page, of course, I love that uh, you splash know page. Mid, that splash page, the middle lit table showing the big map of Wakanda and everybody standing around it in kind of negative light. Uh, I, I just think that's a that's just a cool burn way of doing things. All the burn tech that's right there. This is, this is why you read a John Byrne comic book. Cause he made this stuff look cool. Mm. And I love the, uh, he always often plays with these kind of perspective shots with this overhead. Yeah. Um, shot. And like you said, it's, it's a, it's a, <clears throat> it's great burn tech. My question is, it looks like that is a magnifying glass that Reed is manipulating, like a magnifying glass that would go over the map. Yeah. But it also seems like this is a digitally projected map. It's not an actual physical map. So if that's the case, why do you need a magnifying glass to look at a digital projection? That's 1982. You don't have to answer that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just it does look cool. It just looks, you know, and he's trying to. Uh, and I'll say this from the first page on here and from everything that I saw. And I need to go back and read the the previous number of issues, maybe the previous 50 issues leading up to Burns run. Because I know Frankie Ray actually came in earlier than than Burns run, right? He didn't create her. Or did he? I thought he created her. I could be wrong, but I thought he created but, her. But but I'll say this, I'll say this. Out of every woman that Byrne has ever drawn, I think that that he has made her the sexiest out of all of them. There's something in the way that he draws her. There is just a zing in her appearance that just, you know, yeah, even here, even from the above perspective, without any color, you can you can see he's you know really enjoying her attributes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, in, in in the whole of the story, you don't see her much. But when you do see her, you're like, wow! I mean, she is always vivacious on his page. He he always makes sure to put that in there, and he doesn't do that with every female character. You know, they, they've all got something. You know, his Mary Jane's got a certain look about her. His Jean Grey is different than his Phoenix Jean Grey, but that Phoenix mm. Jean Grey is, wow, you know, she's a pop. Yeah. Whereas the regular Jean Grey is, okay, it's a redhead, you know, it's it's that. But Frankie definitely has got a pop about her, that uh, a glow about her, that that it, there's like a love from him in doing that character. And I, I think that may be something, maybe maybe personal, maybe there's something personal he's throwing into that. I well, don't know. I, I think it comes through with She-Hulk too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, moving forth, you know, the, like, again, we get more of that, that negative lit perspective, which is really cool. The recap of the whole Inhumans moving to the moon. And I like the fact that he actually bitches at Reed about that, but we didn't, <laughs> you know, it's, it, well, that was kind of funny, but. Well, it's funny is he kind of complains about it, but Reed, and Reed doesn't actually come out and say, I did it. And he just yeah. said, "Oh, this is what it was. Like I knew this is, you know, what this, what what you picked up, but not that I helped them move their entire yeah. city well, to the moon. Didn't, he didn't want to have to foot the bill. <laughs> but again, you know, this page, while it's got a lot of stuff going on there, it's what uh, eight panels, or I'm sorry, seven panels, and seven it's panels. just it's packed. 
it is uh, six panels, I'm sorry, and it's packed. And even the next page, and you see them in that, well, it looks like an Avengers Quinjet, really. It does, yeah. That's what I was thinking. And oh. yet, it's Sue flying it because you figured Ben would be flying it, but he comes in from the back in his Indiana Jones getup, and uh, I need one of those jackets. But, um, you know, yep, Ben yep, comes You in. have the hat, right? Yeah, I've got the hat. So, I mean, but it, I guess flew is, Sue is the one flying them. But the perspective is all bizarre in here because – Ben comes in from the back, and Johnny is up at the front, and there's Frankie. Or are they in the second and third row seats? I don't know. Uh, and, and actually, Sue looks like she's leaning on the counter, so I'm sure it's autopilot. They punched in where they wanted to go, and Siri's driving to, you know, flying the plane, which, as, as much as Burn is in love with uh, the, the Lee Kirby run, don't you think this would be the Pogo plane? Yeah. It looks, it looks exactly like a Quinjet. Yes. Very much so. Yeah, and it, he had just done some Avengers issues before that. So, yeah. and of course, and it, a little topical uh, humor here with because uh, this is what eighty two. Mm-hmm. So uh, Raiders has been out a year now. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's that smoke coming out of the jet, or is that just? I think that's. A, I think that's a branch. I thought the same thing. It looks like smoke. Yeah, and then of course Ben is all of a sudden separated from the group and gets yeah. jumped by by the warriors. That doesn't make a lot of... I think you can say but, natives. They are native to that area. Yeah, but even that, that term itself just comes up being... He's jumped, he's jumped by Wakandans. Yeah, and the next page, of course, you get a real Jack Kirby-esque image with Ben fighting them and the Black Panther standing up with his arms in both directions. Especially that, like that the, Black Panther. That's from like the first appearance, isn't it? It looks like it looks like he does a well. You see that that's a kind of a typical Kirby pose that somebody kind of outstretched like that. Yeah, but, and of course, you know, did you know that the Black Panther was actually changed to the Black Leopard for a while? Yeah, because he did. I read that he didn't want to be uh, mistaken with the because he actually predates the Black Panther Party, right? But I guess they changed him for a while, and for a while he also had a uh, cow like Batman kind of mask where you saw his lower face. Yeah. And they, they had a lot of different looks for him. I thought that was interesting. Have you seen, yeah, have you seen the original Kirby where it's all yellows and greens and very colorful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very colorful. Um, before you get too far, I wanted to bring something up. Where is it that uh, – oh, very first splash page. We were talking about the racism. When they're talking about what it is, Ben says, maybe the Arabs, A-Y-R-A-B-S, got some new energy source. I'm like, I know we're just trying to make that's his kind of colloquialisms, you know, the way he Ben talks, and that is – but you could you can't say that. No, you can't say no. that, Ben. Not very yeah, as bad as what uh, Flavia says later. Oh boy, yeah. And then and then of course we move on. And now the uh, the peak that they're talking about, the Tower of Macumba, that looks like Devil's Tower. Looks exactly me. like Devil's Tower. Yeah, I do like T'Challa's throne, though it looks like it's unnecessarily huge. Ooh, Down in the bo- bottom left panel there. Yeah, I want a chair like that though. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a friend, uh, Sean Kaufman, passed away back in 2010, who had a large red velvety clamshell bed. Nice. And so, yeah, it had, it had the clamshell that would come over the top, and you could reach up into it and adjust the stereo controls, which were upside down. So if you're laying in bed, you could look at them and see them right side up. <laughs> so that makes me think of... Um, so they decide to go and change into explorer clothes rather than just go around as a Fantastic Four. Which doesn't make sense. 
No, not really. They're in. They're in T'Challa's country. It's not like they're sneaking into his country. He, they're in his country with his permission. He's going with them. But they're so, worried about the Russians. I guess. And why? That was my other question. Why he knows the Russians were disguised. He knows right. they're not. Why did he let them go through? He, apparently, they asked for permission to go through his his country. Why did he? If he knew they were pretending to be, uh, they were Russians. We don't ever know what the Russians are up to. Uh, they're just they're just the Reds, as, as Ben calls them later in the uh, in the uh, in this, the story. Why does he let them go through his country? He thinks they're up to you know up to something. Well, he knew Jim Harper was going to come with his chopper later. <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> little predator joke there. Predator joke. Yeah, I want to see that Black Panther versus a Predator. That's the next movie. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. And, and so now somebody's going to do it because we talked about it here. Hey, that's fine. As long as they give us credit. So they get to Devil's Tower and then the UFO comes. In. Oh, wait, excuse me. No, that's not true. They find the Russian party and their skin is off their bones. They're still fully clothed. So it wasn't like it was physically stripped off of them like you would see in Predator. It's just kind of they're, eaten they're away. They're just skeletons. The, the, yeah, the, the, the flesh is dissolved. Is, is what seems to be more the case. Otherwise, the clothes would have been discolored or whatever. Don't you think that would affect the cotton? That's a natural fiber. Yeah, but but then again, you know, why didn't the skeletons themselves dissolve? You know, it's uh, there's something really weird about about the, the way they decided to do that. Well, maybe it's like an iron. He didn't have it set for cotton. He had his little yeah. amulet set for <laughs> he had it set for flesh. Yeah, and so next we've got the Roman soldiers coming in, and. While this is a nice little shot, it's not very striking, you know? It's one of the biggest images that's in the book, except for the front page, the first page. But it doesn't really show the, you know, you got these guys standing around, they got their weapons, but you don't really get a sense that anybody's in real danger. No, and, it, and it, it, I think it lacks, the, the, the reds and the yellow certainly pop off that light blue. Is your image the background light blue? No, it's more of a, of a teal. Okay, so it's kind of a light blue in my recolored one, but there's no there's no background. It's like they're floating. Yeah, and I know I don't know if that was his choice just because he's got a lot of detail here, but and the the colors pop off that color or off the background color, but I think it could it could have done with just having something to make him kind of a uh, just draw the floor, just draw you know draw some grass or something. Yeah, and apparently Sue turned invisible. Before that first panel there where we saw them coming in. And by the way, every uh, couple of pages, there's a, a chapter uh, notification. And it, it, every chapter's got a title, which is not something that, that was normally done uh, in his books or, or, or any books. But for whatever reason, he titled each chapter in this. Um, first chapter was Render Under Caesar. The second one is The Black Tower. Third one is The Glory That Was. Fourth one is Vini Vidi Vici. The fifth one is Blood and Circuses, not Bread and Circuses, Blood and Circuses. Star Trek fans will, you know. And then the sixth one is The Hollow Man. And I guess we all know why that is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I like the chapter. I mean, this is something you would see in the early, uh, I think the early books would have uh, kind of breaking apart. This is almost like, uh, if you ever it's watch a Republic Hall- serial. It's a Republic serial. Exactly. I mean, or, they, or pulled into Indiana Jones bit to kind of get you to think that. But yeah, every part is a... Chapter of Republic Serial. The the last thing that Ben sa- sees is, uh, you know, why don't you ask these guys? And there's a spear coming right at the yep, king's head. That, that's where it breaks right there. And then boom, next chapter, chapter of the glory it was. There they are. The guys are standing all around them. But again, there doesn't seem to be any imminent danger. 
Well, it's a lot like if you ever watch any old Quinn Martin stuff, they would always uh, have Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 for a TV show, you know? Yeah. Which is just yep. to di- differentiate where the commercial breaks are. But, yeah, they get yep. uh, they get surrounded, and I guess Sue's go-to. And this is another thing I wanted to ask you about. This uh, read throughout this whole thing is like, oh, don't, don't, don't tip your hand. Don't show your powers. You know, let's just kind of play this through. See, I was kind of, right. he's never done that in the past. Usually it's like, okay, go into action right away. And I don't know why he suddenly, unless he, you know, he suspects something as to what what's going to happen. Well, in every other situation, when they go in and everybody knows who they are, they always have a way of fighting them. Yeah. You know, they, oh, we got a fire extinguisher so we can take out Johnny, you know, Johnny Storm will throw, you know, had the thing fall into a trap, <laughs> you know. But then again, how do you disguise the thing? Uh, you can't. Yeah, he's just a big guy. Part three. Yeah, the glory that was, um, and like I said, you know that you got the the Roman soldiers that are all around him, spears and stuff, and they go along with it. Of course, Reed's got Sue uh, or Sue's invisible. She got invisible as soon as she saw them coming. And you're pretty sure that the guy that's behind Reed is T'Challa. I would assume so. He's more prominently shown. Mm-hmm. And um, then, of course, the next page. Uh, you know, the art is is really, really good, really detailed, but I get the feeling that the coloring um, hurt the art here. What color is, on yours, what color is the uh, the elevator shaft? Is it kind of a medium well, the, purple? The, the elevator shaft is all brown, um, brown and charcoal kind of, but I'm talking the top panel where it's like forest and apparently it's supposed to be close to sunset. It seems like it's supposed to be close to sunset. Yeah. Because you got the oranges at top, and then the purples and the grays, and you know they're they're all, all just kind of a grayish color in the background, and of course you know they're really really small, so there's a lot less detail, but I don't think the coloring did any favors to this this panel, at least in what I'm looking at. Well, it's it's kind of blues but and the, and blues and light blues in mine, and the the elevator shaft I said is all one color. It's all kind of a medium blue. Hmm. But see, the elevator shaft is really, really cool. I love this 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 panel. Very you know, detailed. The thing is, is I I remember this in my head differently than what I'm looking at right now. Because I mean, I remember reading this years and years and years ago, and I always thought that visibly Johnny was a more prominent character, and really you don't see him anywhere on here because the comment about um yeah the the comment about Otis is from Johnny. But you know you can't pick him out of the crowd there. No, just and and this to me that seems more like something the thing would say. Hmm. But yeah. Why he? Another thing. Why? I always thought it was odd that he built this. It's almost like when uh, I'm gonna call him uh, Flavius when he gained all this power. He only built anything based on his knowledge of engineering at the time, because this elevator is. It's low tech. I mean, they're actually having to travel up however high this mountain is, a thousand feet, I think, by having it's just one big screw, and these slaves are having to turn this screw to slowly pull but them up. That's his thing. That's his thing. He is one being above many, and he would rather have put the slaves to work doing that. That that's what makes him powerful in his own mind, and that's what we kind of are learning as the story goes on. What I'm trying to wrap my head around though is was the, the elevator was going up all this time right i assume it's up yes 
And yet, I mean, they go up for hours, three hours or more. And so they're going up a long, long way. And when they get up there, they're all of a sudden in a Roman city. I think it's like a, it's like a plateau at the top of that, mm-hmm. or like a mesa. And that's where all this Roman is, this, this city is created, is, is sitting on top of this, or, or maybe the, the top of this has got kind of walls around it. It's like it's got a lip around the edge of the tower. <clears throat> and then mm-hmm. there on the top of it, where the sunlight is, where he's recreated his, his version of Rome. Yeah, and then the next page, of course, is the next uh, chapter for Vinny Vidi Vici. And you see them brought forth, and they're, they're manacled at this point, or hands tied behind their back. And they're looking at this guy. He is freaking huge up on the throne compared to them, isn't he? No, no, that's not him. That's what I thought. That's him and the red that's below it. Oh, no, it. that's him standing. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And, and that's I, just a, I, that's I, a statue. Why would he? But why would he make a statue? Of, I mean, I guess that's supposed to be Zeus. No, no, Jove? it's Jupiter. Jupiter. But he's, using, he's using the uh, Roman names. Mm. That's right. That's right. And um, of course, he he's liking the ladies. Yeah, he's liking the the light skinned ladies a lot. And of course, when Frankie shows a little fire, no pun intended, <laughs> he knocks her out and sends her away. But Sue. Oh no, he uh, gets her to show show her uh, true color, so to speak. But I mean, Frankie, of course, blows their cover by by you know putting on her power. They never gave her a call sign other than just calling her Frankie, right? She never, not until she became uh, Nova. Nova, yeah, no, yeah. she wasn't with him long enough to have a yeah. She just she was just Frankie Ray. She although she you know she used the same flame on as. Johnny, but uh, she didn't. You know, she didn't spend a lot of time with them before Galactus shows up and then basically takes her. Mm-hmm. But he takes away their powers immediately, turning Ben into human. He goes, "Holy cow, I'm human again!" But that's it. That well, they don't have time to. Uh, I know, I, I I know, but it's 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 just it, it's like Chewbacca walking past Princess Leia in The Force Awakens. Something was missing. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, here's another question here. I mean, I noticed just now, I noticed that Sue is in a skirt. Uh, Frankie is, there's no, Frankie's in a skirt too, isn't she? No, she's in shorts. Yeah. Frankie is in like little camp shorts, but Sue is wearing a skirt. And I don't know, I always thought Bernard would be a little more progressive than that, that he wouldn't necessarily put her in. Uh, maybe that's all they had. Maybe they, they get these clothes from T'Challa, so maybe that's all they had. They only had one pair of shorts and Frankie took them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's um, I don't know that that's I didn't I didn't even give it any thought, but that's I, I, interesting. Yeah, but I got an inter- a more interesting note for later, but we'll we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> in a little bit. Um, he puts them all to sleep. Yep, and look, locks T'Challa and his warriors away in some really bad cage. And T'Challa gets his costume out of the robot. So basically, you know, and, and this is the thing is I was reading this story because it had been years since I'd read this one. Um, and T'Challa gets all these warriors to go with him. I'm just like, man, this is just a little, you know, racially <laughs> insensitive the way it, that they, it's, the way it's, doing. It's a little to, stereotype yeah, but, typical. Yeah. yeah but, but then to come back later and realize that none of them are actually his people. They're all robots. And that just kind of takes away the whole thing. Okay, so this isn't uh, 
you know, they're doing what their master or their king or whatever tells them to do. It's um, he actually didn't even put any of his own people in peril. But if they are robots and they are doing the bidding of the Black Panther, doesn't that make them slaves? If they're androids, it'd be one thing. But since they're robots, <laughs> this robot, know, they're, we, since we, they're robots, robots. Yeah, yeah, we can we can let it slide. Uh, well, Mike, that's my other question. Why does this? If 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 Flavius is thinking he's putting them to sleep, so he thinks the robots are human. Why does it? Why do they go what, to sleep? Yeah, whatever he's doing, what does that work on them too? Well, I mean, it's he's never like like you said because he's got all the low tech stuff there. I don't think he ever even tried to fathom the tech so that he would know the difference between a human and a robot. No, and it, and his his powers are a little underexplained anyway. They're, they're, we don't know exact extent of what very, he is. Very powerful because apparently he's got the ability to change things in reality with a just a single thought. Let's take away their powers. Boom. Yeah, I don't know if his if his if sometimes it seems like his power is based on if it's all illusion, then none of this is real, or is he actually having some type of psionic power? Where he's or he is. Is he being able to uh, manipulate matter like the molecule man, and he can and he can create change the molecules like he did with, or is it all illusion based? It might just be energy based. Yeah, it could be if it's if it's kind of yeah, he's manipulating if he's, the comet cosmic rays that give right. the Fantastic Four their power, or the electricity that keeps the the, the robots running. That could be if he's, it's, if it's kind of a general general energy but he neutralizing also used kind of a telekinetic swap on Frankie SWAT. You know, he yeah. swatted her to the side, not touching her, but he, he did swat her to the side before he took her powers away. So it's I don't know. And it's and he didn't know Sue was there, so it's some kind of general energy dampening field or something mm-hmm. that he's projecting because it just she disappears if he's um, right. And then he's like, hey. Yeah. Hey. Another lady. The golden haired woman. This is like an Maybe can- this one won't fight back. <laughs> and then of course he's got Reed locked up in manacles and Reed's sitting there saying, Okay, I don't have my powers, but I do have my mind. And since he's got one of the brightest minds in the world, he should be able to find his way out of the manacles, right? Well, maybe. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> but mm, I, I doesn't. I do think that that's what uh, I, I think I like about Mr. Fantastic is that I think his greatest power is his mind not his stretching ability the fact that he's like the smartest man on the earth is what makes him that's his weapon and he just doesn't have time to come up with a you know come up with a a clever way to to uh to get out of it you know and and i think it's interesting that he says uh i've warned the others repeatedly not to grow too dependent upon our powers and it's true that the black panther says without their powers they're they really are nothing. They don't have any kind of formal. Tr- I mean, I'm sure Ben is kind of a brawler, so he could probably hold his own in, a, in like a fist fight. But the rest of them are just if they don't have their powers, they're just like you or me. They can't. They can't do anything. It seems that way. Yeah. Okay. So going to the next page here, we see the Black Panther coming in and finding Frankie Ray. And again, yeah, I mean, just the, the art around Frankie right there just shines. If you look at the way the smoke is, and I don't mm-hmm. know, I mean, I, I, again, he did his own inking, his own artwork. You know, there, there's something about the way he draws her. 
Well, her, how is her how is her hair not burning? I mean, she doesn't have her power, so her hair should be burning over that fire. I don't know if if the fire. I get. I don't know if the fire is over directly under her. She says over a slow slow fire. I don't know. Yeah, her hair. I yeah, think her hair would be all singed up. Fire, ancient Roman method of painful execution. But um, but yeah, you know, it's just uh, she's not close enough for it to have any effect on her as of yet because she didn't seem to suffer any anything from it. Well, maybe it's a really slow fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we do get just the Black Panther take on a couple of guards. Now, I've, I've never been someone that's gone out of my way to read the Black Panther. I mean, I've got a couple series, but I don't recall really anything standing out. Does he have, uh, in, in the comic books, did he have any superpowers or is he just a peak human? I think he was a... a, a- just a peak human or maybe uh, kind of a Captain America, just a slightly enhanced. Yeah, I, I, like the way they're, I like the way they're handling him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where he has got that outfit of vibranium. Yeah, it's just kind and, of a high tech. But he definitely is is more than just man because he's able to keep up with Captain America you know, in, in a running race. And Captain America runs pretty fast. I think he's like... Uh, you know, like Daredevil, like Cap, like uh, although Daredevil doesn't really have any powers either. But I think I don't know if his if the is it the Panther God or whatever his he's the living totem of the Panther or something mm-hmm. that gives him his powers or you know at least I'm sure he works out like crazy. But uh, I don't think he has any anything anything I'm, beyond. I'm sure that all the White Riders over the last 50, 60 years have put in a lot of racist ways of giving them superpowers. <laughs> and that, that's just an unfortunate happenstance, you know, of how that goes. You know, he was his character was created by white men. It's been written mostly by white men over the years. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thing that we know about the writers as they have, and, and Stan is, is one of the first ones, you know, he was there, he did it as well, that, you know, they they couldn't help but do it as they did it because it, it was a different time, of course. But, um, you know, it's y- – you hope that you get away from the things like the totems and 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 such and that you find that it's something more that they've come up with from their advanced technology. Yeah, well, that's that's the, the kind of cool thing about Wakanda that it's a this mix of, of kind of ancient artifact and like – some of the most high tech stuff on the planet that that he's got all these high tech um, uh, you know the the city itself is 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 very high tech but yeah you I know think, what it makes me think of do you know what do you know what the the build up on the Black Panther makes me think of hmm. ha, have you ever seen the movie Chasing Amy the Kevin Smith movie Chasing Amy I have not uh, and you need to watch at least the first 15, 20 minutes of it um, Ben Affleck and um, yeah, Jason Lee are comic book creators. They're the mm-hmm. guys that that make the comic book Batman and Chronic, which is a comic version, comic book version of the Jane Silent Bob. Yeah, yeah, they're, I, they're, yeah I've seen I've seen Mallrats, so I kind of I know they were established right. there. Well, there was a, at they're at a comic book convention, and there's another creator there um, who does. He's a black, a gay black comic book creator, but his persona is you know very racist against white people and all that and he says he's like you know in the comic book medium 
you know, the black man has been forced to play the minstrel in the area of sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, but not in my book. My book, White Hate and Coon, it's got none of that. In it, you know, and he, he talks about his African nation that was, you know, flying around in their flying cars long before we were still, you know, li- living in caves. You know, and uh, you know, it's like looking at the Black Panther movie now. It seems like they're they're going for that almost, except of course they're not going to call him. White hate and coon. And please, (laughs) my apologies to anybody if they're offended by that. I was just bringing that up as a point because I I think it's 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 funny how the comic book writers and the movie writers of today seem to pull little things off of Kevin Smith's work. And uh, I'll I'll uh, use another point from the same movie where they were talking about the 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 guy Hooper X was talking about how Star Wars is about how the white man keeps the black man down. And he's sitting there and said, take a look at Darth Vader, the blackest black man in the galaxy. And he <laughs> said, he calls him a Nubian God, in which case Chase Lee stands up and goes, what's a Nubian? <laughs> and he tells him to shut the F up. And, you know, the thing is that like, if you watch the Phantom Menace, there, you know, the Padme and uh, the, the Senator from Naboo, but when their ship needs repairs, Watto's looking and he goes, ah, Nubian, you know. <laughs> so I thought that was George Lucas, you know, kind of giving Kevin Smith a little funny backhand there. I thought that was, that was kind it of funny. Be. It yeah. could be. Well, I mean, but it's interesting that the, the, you, the – You should watch the first 10, 15 minutes of Chasing Amy just for the whole Hooper X routine because it is hilarious. I will have to uh, – It's on YouTube. Uh, uh, it's on YouTube. No, I just watch it there. Uh, I, I, I do know that Black – I think the Black Panther is the first prominent uh, African American superhero. That was what, what? What about Brother Voodoo? Oh, I think he came along in the seventies, didn't he? I know because this is Stan and Jack creation. They too, said Black it? Panther was the first one to have superpowers. It wasn't because they had, I guess, some comics that were kind of. I guess they had at one point they had kind of comics were segregated, so they had, uh, you know, like comics for blacks and then. They had comics for you know whites or everybody else, but uh, but he was the first, I guess, to give a to have a prominent because he he predates. Yeah, he uh, Brother Voodoo actually didn't come around until 1973. It was created by Len Wein and John Romita Senior and Stanley. Yeah. I thought I thought he came along that whole oh we can put vampires and and uh, monsters and werewolves back in our comics when they relaxed the comic code. So that's the net and all that uh, when you know it's Werewolf by Night and Frankenstein and. Mm-hmm. Um, Swamp Thing and all that kind of stuff came about in the seventies. Uh, yeah, but he—he's actually—he's <clears throat> at some point replaced Doctor Strange as Sorcerer Supreme. He did at one point. He was, and he was referred to as uh, Jericho Drum. But yeah, I—I I, I always thought he was from the sixties, but no, he's from the seventies. No, I knew he was kind of from the seventies. I think Panther uh, predates. Um, what's the first prominent in DC? Is it Black Lightning? Probably, yeah. It's not John Stewart. John Stewart's in the 70s as Green Lantern, but I think Black Lightning is before that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it is Black Lightning. Who, um, first appearance, Black Lightning, number one, April 1977. Yep. And or Luke Cage. I guess Luke Cage would be the second most prominent Marvel character, Aww. but that's, that's 70s too. So. And Luke Cage appeared first in 1972. Yep. And they yep. like uh, Panther sixty six, I think. Yeah, Panther sixty six. Yeah, you know, and and like 
like Doctor Doom, you know, he not only is a prominent character, he's the sovereign leader of his own country. Mm-hmm. He's an Avenger. You know, he's a strong character, so... And he's going to be a strong ally of Captain America. Yep. Get this man a shield. <laughs> I like that line. Every time I hear it. Okay, well, back to our story. Um, Part five. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that this is the one page where we actually get to see Black Panther doing something, but we really still don't get a full idea of what he is capable of. Um, that last page we were just looking at. Part five, Blood and Circuses. Now, of course, it always makes me think of Bread and Circuses, which is the title of a Star Trek episode where they were the modern-day Roman, Roman gladiators fighting on TV. But again, I don't know where that, that line comes from. Does that also come from the Bible? No, I think Bread and Circus is probably – that may be Shakespeare. That sounds like mm-hmm. Shakespeare. I thought of that when this uh, this Roman's name is Flavius, and the main Roman in that episode uh, yeah. is called Flavius. And Byrne being such a huge Star Trek fan, I wonder if that's uh, why he picked that name. Well, all these uh, names were actually uh, – if, if you watched Masterpiece Theater back in the day, uh, I, Claudius, was a big – show mm-hmm. on, on Masterpiece Theater, and it had uh, Derek Jacoby and John Hurt and uh, Patrick Stewart and so many other the British actors of the day, and they were you know, basically chronologing, chronicling the, the, the rules of the, 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 the Roman emperors from, I want to say, it was after Julius Caesar, of course, and you had uh, Tiberius... And you had Caligula, and then the 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 one that was mentally challenged, and that was Claudius. And it was, you know, I mean, of course, you know, the Caligula was just not only was he represented there, he's also represented in that penthouse movie Caligula, which was uh, an X-rated tour de force. Uh, you, oh, you, you you could watch it in a PG version, an R version, or an X-rated version. It was your choice. And the Malcolm McDowell, I've never I've never seen it, but I've heard stories of the. Uh... Malcolm McDowell, no. Helen Mirren, a, a, a big list of Hollywood stars. Yeah. And then, you know, you, but the thing was, the, the movie was shot two ways. You know, um, they shot all the stuff with the Hollywood people, and then they would shoot all the other stuff, like the orgy scenes and whatnot. And then Malcolm McDowell would appear and do certain things, but it wasn't with the Hollywood actors or actresses, as far as I understand it. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this. I'm just going off with third-hand information from one of my friends that was obsessed with the film. Mm. But, uh, that's a- but, yeah, but that was that was one of those uh, weird, weird things that you, you just didn't see happening with uh, that those two sides of the industry working together. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder if, this, if, if the reason why Byrne picked Caligula as the, the emperor that was in uh, – ruling at the time when uh, Flavius was a, a guard, when he was just still a, a man. Right. Because if they picked him because he's kind of pattering, pattering, he's basing his, his, his rule as emperor on Caligula because he's, he's kind of deprived yeah. and he's violent and he's racist and he's so, that, yeah, that's why, uh, if that's why Byrne decided to, well, I'll, I'll have him, you know, that's going to be his idol or his model for the kind yeah. of emperor that he is. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's why. And, that's kind of chilling though, you know, you sit yeah. there and you see Sue looking over the the what is that the this this not stadium, what do they call it? The uh, arena, the, arena, col- yeah, the coliseum. Arena. 
and everybody's there completely silent. Yeah. And that's that's hard for that to come through on a, in a comic. I, they keep yeah. repeating that, that everybody's so silent, but that's hard to uh, convey that. But I had a question. I didn't get this until my uh, about the second, third time I read this. Uh, when he asks, uh, she says, you, uh, blah, blah, blah. you wish to be a ruler of a silent kingdom. Is this uh, by your hand? And he says, when first I came here, I granted uh, to these primitives ability to speak noble Latin, just as I have given you understanding. Are you? Do you think he's saying he is speaking Latin and he's somehow allowing everyone else to understand what he's saying? Yeah. Okay. I didn't pick that up for some Reddit that he is probably is speaking Latin and somehow was allowing them to. Yeah, but that next statement is just so offensive. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's this whole. I mean, and I understand you can write dialogue like that coming out of a person, a character that you're you're saying, you know, this is not coming from me, the writer. This is coming from this character that is uh, yeah. racist, and that's how he is. But I still, you could never, you would never see that in a modern comic today. But you know, it's funny. We, we were watching. We watched a, a movie, a new movie recently, The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's that is really a great movie. Is it as good as I say it is? Yes, it is. It is a fantastic movie. And Guillermo del Toro just really did something to bridge, you know, that that sci-fi fantasy tale with that that real world 19 early 1960 sensibilities and and all that. I thought it was really good the way he showed just how wrong certain things were. And Michael Shannon, of course, uh, plays, you know, that that uptight kind of guy from that era. Uh, I, I don't think anybody does it, you know, as well as he does. He was perfect for the role in that. And I understand the, his role was written specifically with him in mind. Oh yeah. He does. He plays that type of character pretty well. Yeah. Uh, like, like he did on boardwalk empire, but I mean, it was, it was a really, really good movie. Uh, I'd recommend it to, to anybody. Of course it is very R rated. So um, it's not yep. for the kids. <laughs> So, you know, be careful with that. So if you love Creature from the Black Lagoon, you love a good love story, you love a, a good story about stupid racist people, yeah, this is uh, this is your bag. It's a good movie. Cool. No, but I really enjoyed it. One of the best movies uh, – well, I'll definitely say it's the best movie I've seen this year. Uh, but here we are, what, two weeks into January. <laughs> two weeks in. Yeah, two weeks in. Yeah. All right, so okay, – so- He's given his history to her, and we get to see all this nice stuff. But I think the coloring once again detracts from the Cole Burn tech. It does. It's kind of um, well, and he's also this is a, a typical you know six panel page too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the limitations of the four color printing at the at, you know in that day and age. I I can see that, but I think that that they could have done something a little bit different with it. Well, but, I will say this: the gold that he does on Flavius is gorgeous. This, this yes. all gold look that Burner's always done done well with kind of reflective, shiny surfaces when he's doing his art. And Indiana Jones, anyone? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking that first issue or second issue, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was first issue. First issue. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, he's given his history and everything, and it's just. Again, it's unremarkable because there's no prehistory. This is something that Burns created, this character, specifically for this issue. And, of course, we see Johnny and Ben down there. And Ben is ripped. Yep. He is a ripped strapping man. I always thought, you know, I mean, I liked 
when they had Michael Chiklis cast as a thing. I just thought he was perfect guy to play the thing. And Michael Chiklis has never been what you would call a ripped fellow. No, no. He was big and stocky. But, you know, that that was the thing still, and it still is a thing in comics, that any any man that's in a comic book, unless he is, you know, your straight NPC, he's probably going to be ripped and muscular. Well, it's it's if you think of the difference between, like, if you think of a strong man in, like, the 50s, Mm-hmm. He's just he's fit, but he's not he's not cut. Yeah, he's and, thick. Yeah, he's just thick. He's just meaty and beefy, and that's probably how. I mean, I, I don't know how it translates to if the thing needs to exercise as the thing because he's not showing this or be to be muscular. He's just kind of a big lump. But does that how that translates to if if he stopped exercising, would he become fat? And if he became human again, would he be a fat human? But what does he have to exercise with? I mean, how often can you sit there and lift 75 ton weights? I don't know. Well, you got to, you know, he, and he can't, I guess, I don't know if he can sweat. So I don't know if I, I don't know how, <laughs> I mean, I guess just his daily routine of punching bad guys is going to be enough uh, cardio, you know, that he gets. But, you know, the whole ego story was talking about heat and suffocating and all that stuff. And the thing was sitting there pushing himself beyond his limits. And yeah. never once was the term sweat. I don't know ever, if he sweats. I don't know if ever written. I don't think he does. The and no hot mood does say that his his rocks can dry out and he can chip. Mm-hmm. So and he can cry from his eyes. Yeah, we know that. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Yeah. So I don't think he can spit. Yeah. So Johnny and Ben <laughs> go about doing their best imitation of Doctor McCoy and Flavius. That's right. And. Sue, of course, gets it in her mind. Oh no, they're in trouble! And this is this is where I think Byrne takes his first real step in taking Sue from being the invisible girl to the invisible woman. To the invisible woman. This is this is like her being the oh woe is me, the helpless woman, and then realizing I am not helpless. I can stand up and do something. And I mean, they kind of did some things with her before when they when they ran across Doctor Doom, or is that later? I may be getting that mixed up. But again, you know, so she gets up there, she pulls off the helmet, and then the next chapter, part six, the hollow man, and he does the Darth Vader, no, <laughs> with no head. And he's hollow inside. There's nothing yes. to him. Nothing there. The armor falls to the ground, and everybody gets their powers back. All the people die. Frankie gets free, and the place falls apart. And there's Reed, still manacled. Hadn't been able to figure out how to get out of there, so well, he, he was out. he was being overly complicated. He was trying to come up with a, a twelve part plan to pick the lock. Okay, I could have done it if I was Reed. <laughs> okay, now, but, but if you look at the structure there, okay, so there he is. He's got the manacles on him, and they're both going up to that that large metal ring in the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so all he had to do was sit there and turn, you know, get pull himself upside down. And then he could unscrew it from the wall. I really have no idea if that would work. Probably probably wouldn't. (laughs) What you have to do is you have to make your wrist bloody so it makes it slick so you can pull them out through the manacles. Yeah, it just depends on how tight they are. But they're they're full metal manacles, so there's no size adjustment on them. No, no, they're not. They're not like handcuffs. if, If there's any kind of looseness on there, you could use that to your advantage. But you know, he didn't get out. He was stuck. The whole issue manacled up. Well, Even though and, he said he was going to use his mind to get out, <laughs> and I, I, I just find that funny. You know, it's like Reed, you know, doing that. Now, of course, there's a scene uh, just before that of Frankie carrying 
the Black Panther out. Now, um, I, I can't see. I, it looks like, I guess, her hands, she's got her hands normal while the rest of her is on the Yeah, plane. they're shiny because they're the gloves she wears. Yeah, yeah. So she's got that good level of control. And then, of course, Ben and Johnny. And Ben in a very common pose there, I'd Where say. He's, he's walking towards, kind of walking towards the camera. Yeah. Yeah. He almost, looks, he, he almost looks naked because he can't see his shorts. Yeah. And, of course, he punches the columns to save Reed. Which that, you know, you know that that's not going to hurt Reed. I mean, he may get buried in this stuff, but it's not going to, you know, that's, that's not going to hurt him. Yep. But Reed makes a body slide. Hey, Ben, slide on my body. <laughs> That's kind of gross. Well, they've done that before. And then, then of course, uh, the whole top of the mountain explodes, and Reed's freaking out because of Sue. But she's right there, just naked. Yep. So he gives her a coat, just enough. Uh, you figure someone's going to ask her, hey, Sue, raise your hands above your head for a second. <laughs> well, I, I think it's cute that Ben's holding it. He's you know he covering his, his eyes. Yeah. And then Johnny makes a crack that, uh, like, uh, you think you had something to worthy uh something worth hiding it's like a uh, nice nice crack there johnny i mean since <laughs> your sister sister but of course if he had said something like well they made more of a sexual remark to her that'd be even creepier yeah but they had a small data dump there at the end yeah they had to where they compare the notes now this um where was i want to go back i was going to ask a question because that this i don't know i know you're not much of a doctor who fan right right there is, and you sh- if you can watch it, if you can find it, there is a uh, there's a series called the uh, the Three Doctors, which was back in '73, where they brought all the original Doctors back together for uh, the the original actors for like the mm-hmm. 10th anniversary, and they go up against uh, Omega, who is the guy that created the entire Time Lord uh, society because he created the the Eye of Harmony, which gives them all their power for all the TARDISes. Well, they go to his dimension, and he's got a full bodysuit on, and he wants to escape, but he can't because he's like in this antimatter um, universe. Well, at the end, this spoilers for a forty-year-old show. He removes his helmet, <clears throat> and he's he's nothing, and all that he's left him is his will. And that's the only thing that's keeping him together and keeping because he is his either is it was his either costume war or it was the environment he was in had eroded him just like Flavius here and the only thing that was keeping him alive and keeping the, the universe intact was his will and once he discovered that he was that there was nothing there he freaks out and the whole thing collapses on itself exactly like this story so I, I have to believe that Byrne must have seen because I think they're too similar he must have seen that episode to think yeah, about this you know, it, it, it's funny because um Days of Future Past also is, you know, people tie it to Day of the Daleks, which is a Doctor Who story. Because you know, people always you know, say to John Byrne, how come you're not suing James Cameron for using your idea for Terminator or even Harlan Ellison for using Well, I don't, know how, I don't know when the Harlan Ellison story came about, but were you just so for just general time travel or? The go back into the past and kill somebody to prevent the future, you know. Oh, see, that is actually that's if you want to uh, sue Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison's story is based on the Outer Limits story from the '60s. Mm. So Burns would 
if anything, Byrne is copying. Um, yeah. But I don't think. But was, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I, I think you got a good point there. But, but the, all in all, go ahead. No. Uh, well, what do you think of the, the the issue? You know, it was it was one of those. I can't say it was a memorable one. Um, the the art was so compressed in, in a lot of it, so that it didn't have anything that that I sat there and looked it back and said, "Wow, that's really remarkable." I want to go back and look at that one again. The only thing that was truly memorable for it for me over all these years was something I misremembered. And that was the whole elevator section. <laughs> so you know, th- thinking back on that, that um, you know the the only other things that I pulled out of there, and you know I'm going to have to go back and and read more is just to see is this always how Byrne handled Frankie Ray, and was was there something else amongst that? Maybe I can find something else in there. But it, it seems to me like if he was to have a crush on a comic book character, that would have been his crush. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It could be that uh, maybe he 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 wanted to draw her that way. Well, the there also what's the other character that and, and and am I completely off base in my my assumptions on that? The way he drawn her. I mean, are you, are you, yeah, are you seeing the same things I'm seeing that, that there's a a vivaciousness that he's putting in her that he doesn't put in other women in comics? You know, I mean, there's a, a sexiness that he puts to to Misty Knight. Uh, when he's drawing her in the, the Power Man and Iron Fist and all that kind of stuff. And there's a different kind of sexiness with Jean when she is Jean versus when she's Marvel Girl or when she's Phoenix. Because, you know, the Phoenix one is definitely, you know, got her own vibe. But when she's just Jean, she doesn't have that same kind of vibe about her. Yeah, but I would say even Jean doesn't seem to have the same kind of sensuality i think you're referring to that frankie ray or <clears throat> i agree with misty knight or mm-hmm. um she hulk to a certain extent she hulk's there but she hulk has a little more i don't know some of it, it can, maybe it's it's our from reading these characters and knowing who they are we're we're putting that on the characters so if you just saw this as a drawing would you pick up that vibe or is it because we know what kind of character they are because misty knight has a little more of a uh, I don't say innocence. I think Frankie Ray's got an innocence to her. Missy Knight doesn't, and I think the She-Hulk's got a certain amount of innocence to her. I don't know. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I have to go back and kind of... I, I never looked for that, or it's never stuck out, so I have to go back and kind of um, see if that does stand out in the other, other stuff he's been he's been uh, working on. Okay, uh, but yeah, I really... I, I You know, the going back and reading it, uh, of course, I wanted to see more of what Black Panther could do. I wanted to, to know more about his character. And, and I kind of get the feeling that Byrne didn't, you know, he wanted to go ahead and do it because Kirby did it, but he didn't really have a, any kind of agenda in what he wanted to do with the Black Panther. So he just had him come along for the ride and help to save the day. Yeah, I'm surprised that the Black Panther is not in this that much. I thought it was he was going to be more prominent, and he's not really. It's more of a, at least the second half is more of a Sioux story. And he mm-hmm. did the Black Panther. It's just kind of just along for the ride. He's not because uh, I don't remember. I mean, I, I like this story. It's a good standalone. It's uh, it's a little forgettable. It's not. It doesn't really tie in with anything else. I look to see if nothing, none of this, none of this stuff ever reoccurs. But see, Black Panther is Indiana Jones. He's totally inconsequential to the story. No. <laughs> because Sue is the one that basically changes everything. Sue is the one 
that pulls off the helmet and that undoes everything. Yeah, so yeah, that, that, the moment that she pulled that off, Frankie's power would come and she'd be able to free herself from the fire. And Johnny and Ben would be able to do what they did and, and then they'd be able to save Reed. The Black Panther is basically inconsequential to the story, like yeah. Indiana Jones is supposed to. Now, again, I don't buy into that Indiana Jones is inconsequential yeah. to Raiders because if he didn't go to where Marion is in Nepal, they never would have found her because they had no clue where she was. They never would have gotten the medallion. They never would have figured out where the map room is. Yeah, or, see, you, you, yeah, poked, a hole, you poked a hole right, right there in their theory. theory. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what I mean. What when when writers get ideas? I mean, what did Burn? What did he want to? Did he want to write a Black Panther story? Did he? Did he want to do this story about a Roman soldier that becomes godlike? Okay, where can we set that? Well, you know, we can set it. You know, where it has to be someplace where it's not uh, overly civilization hasn't encro- encroached so much that that this tower could be. You think that. Uh, the Black Panther and his people would have at least investigate this tower. He says that after it, all this time, yeah. yeah, he says it is kind of it's it's kind of a lore of of evilness or, or dark magic or something about it. So they kind of stay away from it. So you know, where can you put it? It has to be some kind of a wilderness area. Yeah. Now th- this is the thing I didn't understand. Why did he just kill the Russians outright? Why are the Russians it- even in it? Is that just to? Give us, you know, that he does say later that when he killed the Russians, that's what the blip of this this power surge was that Shield picked up. Hmm. So it's, that's there to explain why. So I guess he's when he's using his power in uh, the tower. Maybe it's masks or something. They don't they don't shielded, see it yeah. shielded somehow. But yeah, I don't know. But I mean, it's I, my only remember this when you suggested. This, I remember was. Oh, the guy take his helmet off. He's not there. That's that's the only thing I can remember from it. Yeah, but the, I mean, I think the artwork's great. It's you know, it's typical burn, um, nicely detailed. It's 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 told at a nice nice pace. It's it's a little wordy, but that's just I think that's from the way comics were back then. Yeah, I thought the cover was a little unremarkable though. Yeah, it and it and it's. That's Burn in Austin too, and I, I, I kind of found the fa- the thing drawn a little funny on the cover, um, especially his legs. Yeah, I do like you the know. hand though. That hand gesture. Well, he that, does that's gorgeous. gnarled hands. That's yeah. that's gorgeous, and he does that great. Like I said, that great gleaming surface. He does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the, and the that's all I remember about this. I thought for some reason when I see this cover, I thought it was something else because mm-hmm. this has a little bit of. Um, you know the master storyline that's from Alpha Flight, yeah, where the he's the caveman that found the meteor and, and basically just lived for. He's kind of uh, Vandal, Savage. Vandal, Vandal Savage, yeah. That's this has a little bit of that. This guy's lived for two thousand years, and he exists, you know, just as his kind of his will or his essence to to be the emperor is only keeping him around. Um, but other than that, it's it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's it's got that kind of typical burn. Oh, there's kind of a, a mystery. Then what's the kind of a catch? Not the catch, but what's kind of the the Twilight Zone kind of end at the end? You know, what's what's our reveal? Yeah. So, although it's not, it's not a not a uh, it's not a bad story, not a bad issue at all. But it's just one of his kind of fill in, almost like a fill in. I mean, I don't want to say that because that sounds makes it sound bad. But it's uh, well, this is during that time when Shooter wanted one done issues. Yeah. And, and, there's, so, and there's nothing wrong with one and dones. I mean, I'd like singles. I mean, standalone stories are great. You don't have; they don't all have to be twelve part arcs. Mm-hmm. Or this this feels like a story that this would come back later. 
like Flavius would show up later and he and he had uh, reassembled himself, or something would come back later to uh, pop up again. That's what I loved about Burns Run. He would he'd sprinkle little things in and bring them back to help create that continuity. You're right. I thought it was yes, interesting. It I looked to see if this was Burns. I was trying to remember what was Burns' first time to draw the Black Panther. And it, from what I could find, turns out it was that Avengers story that we covered in our very first issue, 140... 164? 164. That's the first time I, that I could find that he he drew the Black Panther. Now, he was just in the very, very beginning of the story, right? He didn't actually fight against Nefarious. I don't think he fought, but he was, he was in it. So, I mean, Byrne did draw him, but... And he's, you know, he certainly didn't have as much action as he did in this. Yep, that's right. He was there at the very beginning... And uh, no, he did fight and get his butt kicked by the by whirlwind, the amped up whirlwind. Yeah, the amped up whirlwind, and uh, he tried to fight the living laser, and then the fairy comes in and boom, man. You know it's funny because I was trying to remember if if, if uh, he had much of a hand in that first one, and it just it didn't strike me as as remarkable his contribution in there, and he's on the splash page of the second issue. Yeah. But uh, he doesn't really seem to have a very big part to play in the second issue at all. He's standing back in scenes, and that's really about it. But then when you sit there and you look at him, he's just so, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's so low-powered compared to what needs to be done there. Yeah. Because he's not going to be able to have an effect on, on Nefaria. So he wasn't much of a, of a part in there. I mean, he did contribute, but... You know, it, it, it was big boy's time at that. At that at yeah, that well, it gets some point. of that power love you have to be. Okay, Brian, did uh, you have anything else you uh, wanted to say about FF241? Do you think we covered everything? I think we, we I think we covered it all pretty well. Yeah, we we spent, uh, uh, I don't know how long we spent on that. We spent about two hours talking about that one. Well, we, we had a lot We had a lot to go oh, on. Yeah. Aside from that, I mean, everything else that we covered. I, I don't know how much we're going to keep in the episode, but... Uh, you can take all that that stuff out about you know the explosive body bodily functions yeah. though. You know, we <laughs> that, don't need to talk we'll, about that. We'll keep that for the uh, the for the episodes when we release you know um, the um, the kind of sidebar kind of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, we are going to cover a little short story. Well, not a short story, but a, a, sh- a ten pager that. Um, and I'm covering this one, so I'll do the synopsis and I'll kind of go down our little. Little information here on this is uh, Marvel Team Up number one hundred, but we're not covering the main story. We're covering the backup story. You know, it occurs to me that I goofed up earlier. Oh yeah, when I was going over the the specifics of the of the book, um, and I was talking about what was put out that, that month, I did it wrong, um, or did I? Because uh, April nineteen eighty two is when the the Fantastic Four book came out, and it had. Aside from that, they did. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we we talked about the yeah. uh, what if the Avengers become the Pons of Korvac, the Daredevil Chronicles, and then the Bizarre Adventures, where we had the two page uh, story of violence, where as many faces. Now, um, yeah. what I've done is I pulled that story down. It's just a two page story, and uh, I think what I'll do is I'll just go ahead and put a link to it uh, with our podcast. That works. So if, if you go to the web page, you can see the link to that. I'll take you to Burn Robotics, and you can see the story. It's just a, a cool two-page little 
little story. It's a silent story, which yeah. Burn is is very good. I think we need to do a, a whole episode on the silent stories, though. Well, I Sometime I want to cover future. his uh his Batman silent Many story. Many of the yeah. Batman. Yeah. And uh, there's that that um, that Christmas story, the World War One story, with the uh, flying ace. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that one. Is yeah, it, a- it was it was uh, it was in one of the Christmas specials that came out when during the years that John Byrne was working on Superman, and um, it was a silent story, took to, uh, where he did the artwork and Joe Kubert, I believe, did the inks or one of Adam, hmm. I don't know one of one of the Kuberts did the inks and uh, quite a quite a good uh, story there. And and you know it's funny because my wife and I had a, a nice long discussion or I should say disagreement about the story because that's one of those that she can look at and really get into as as opposed to other comic book stories. Um, But she kind of disagreed with me about what the story was actually saying occurred. And so I want to get your, your take on that at some point and compare it to what my wife says has happened. So that, that, that should be interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, didn't we, I don't think we actually covered it properly, but we might have gone over it. Or maybe it was in our top ten. We had planned on doing it before. No, but, but I mean, we covered his. He has that silent story that is in his Art of John Byrne, where yeah. the astronaut lands on the planet, meets the girl. We had talked about it. We had We had actually it, covered uh, it properly, wow. but I know we'd mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, go ahead. You, you, okay. you were talking, and I just... Interrupted you there? No, no, no. That's that's the that's the that's the, the art of that's the nature of podcasting. Uh, okay, this is Marvel Team Up number one hundred. Uh, of course, publisher is Marvel. Uh, I've got a cover date of December nineteen eighty. Uh, sale date of September twenty third nineteen eighty. Uh, it cost a whopping seventy five cents, and it was forty eight pages. Now we're course, just going to cover the back uh, ten pages for this story. Uh, it is called Cry Vengeance. Uh, it's at 10 pages. It features uh, Storm and Black Panther. Our writer is Chris Claremont. Our penciler is John Byrne. Her inker is Bob McLeod. And that's a that's a that's a uh, uh, hat trick right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, couldn't, couldn't think of my my sports analogy. Uh, our letterer is Annette Kawicki. If I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. Colorist is Rob Carousella. And our editor is Denny O'Neill. Uh, this story is also reprinted in Marvel Milestones, uh, Black Panther, Storm, and Kazar. 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 Number 14 in 2006. Uh, and I think we mentioned this earlier, but the other books that came out at the time this came out were uh, he was just finishing up his run on X Men, so X Men 140 came out, which is the uh, Wendigo issue. Right. And he did Captain America 252. Cold Fire. Yep. Which was his... Was that, uh, was that one of the stories in England? Cold Fire? Yeah. I'm not... I, I'm, sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> but... And then, yeah, Marvel Team. Now, this um, this book, of course, this was the back story. The, the front story, the cover story was... Uh, was it, it was Chris Claremont and Frank Miller... And that was a story where they introduced Karma, who would later mm-hmm. become a member of the New Mutants. Yep. And uh, it was like it was a story that that story frustrated me because it seemed uh, when, when he had the X Men in it, just a, a scene with Professor X and Storm Colossus and 
uh, Wolverine were um, in the uh, danger room. Mm-hmm. And he admonishes Wolverine for using his claws against the things in the danger room. Well, what's he supposed to do with his claws? <laughs> it just seems so out of character. Anyway, I'll shut up. That that was my only comment about, about <laughs> that particular thing. But it's like, yeah, I, as, I, as I looked over the book, I, I went and read that story again also because, you know, just it was uh, it was there. Yep. I, I kind of thumbed through it, and the, I thought the artwork was pretty uh, lackluster, especially compared when you come to uh, the artwork in the back here. We're fixing the cover. Well, it was, um, it was a different inker, wasn't it? It was um, – because it, was, yeah, it wasn't Klaus Janssen. It was uh, Bob Wyacek who inked it. And Bob Wyacek's inks are – you'd expect him to be on a real strong line artist like Byrne, you know? And when you got someone that was Frank Miller, who his artwork is a completely different style, that it just didn't seem to work for me. Yeah, it's not. I'm, I'm kind of looking at it now. The only part that's really interesting is is the the flashback where Karma is kind of giving her origin. That is drawn a little differently. It's kind of a sepia tone, and it's a little more uh, shaded, more of a kind of a penciled look. And that's that's actually kind of nice compared to. Yeah, I, I don't think that, that Wycheck did much with that because I, the amount of detail that Miller put in there. And if you look at, at Miller's later work, like Wolverine, uh, the Wolverine miniseries, the very first page is a uh, picture of Miracle. Yeah. And it's done in the same kind of style and just the level of detail on it. When he does that, you know, that's I think that's where his, uh, his work really shines. But, you know, it, it, and of course, you know, he, he did a variation of that when he went on to Sin City, but then he kind of really turned it on its edge with Sin City and went very much more impressionistic and out there. Very more stylized, that. yeah. Yeah, it's, noir stylized, yeah. I kind of, I kind of related to kind of the way uh, Ramita Jr., his style changed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't like his. I, I like his style. Uh, it, it fits certain characters. I mean, there are certain artists that will fit that their style fits certain characters, and and I think his fits because uh, he kind of came up with that style when he was. I noticed at first when he was doing uh, Punisher War General, and it fits that kind of kind of gritty kind of character. But some of his later superhero stuff, I wasn't too crazy about. Hmm. All right. Okay. Besides that, all right. Uh, my uh, my synopsis is coming from the Marvel Wiki, so I did not write this. So I was lazy, and I I went to the internets and got it. All right. Cry Vengeance. While walking the streets of New York, Aurora Monroe, the mutant known as Storm, is clipped by a bullet fired from rooftop sniper. Changing into her costume, Storm summons a lightning storm and incapacitates her attacker. She recognizes the man's accent as being from South Africa, but when she demands answers, the shooter refuses to tell her who hired to kill her and why. The mutant then unleashes the full fury of the elements on the man, and he eventually cracks, telling her that the man who hired him is Andreas de Reuter. De Reuter. His na- this name is familiar to Storm, and it reminds her of her trek across Africa when she was only 12 years old. She recalls how when she reached Ethiopia, she happened upon some white men swarming uh, a black youth. Using her powers, Aurora came to the man's aid. That's when Andreas made his presence known. He explained that the boy is T'Challa, 
the Prince of Wakanda, and that he intends to capture the boy and bring him back to South Africa. T'Challa struck Andreas, but when the white man pulled a gun, Storm blasted with a bolt of lightning. Storm then grabbed T'Challa and flew away. With her recollection now over, Storm pays a visit to the embassy of Wakanda where she speaks, where she seeks an audience with T'Challa. Now the, king, now the king of Wakanda, as well as the costume hero known as the Black Panther. After exchanging pleasantries, Storm tells him about Andreas de Ruter and, their pair, and the pair decides to investigate things further. Checking his computer files, Black Panther learns that de Ruter changed his violent ways and lived a normal career in politics and he was for, until he was forced to retire and dropped out of sight. Using his, his resources as an Avenger, the Black Panther manages to track down where Andreas is working now. The pair then break into his mansion, incapacitating the guards to get in. Once, once, once they enter Andreas's bedroom, they are attacked by a robot that is being controlled by Deruter. The pair easily dispatches a robot and finds Andreas dead in his room. Upon further examination, they learn that he was mentally linked to the robot, and when it was deactivated, he was killed instantly. Soon the authorities are called and the scene locked down, and the Panther and Storm bid, well, bid each other farewell. When T'Challa tries to tell her his feelings for Storm, she also admits she has some as well, but tells him that the opportunity has long passed and leaves. The end. Well, so what did you think of that? I thought it was a pretty good little story. I, uh, I was kind of curious as to why it was in this, why it was in this team up. I mean, I guess this is Marvel team up as in Storm and Black Panther, but right. a lot of times when I do these backup stories, it's the same characters, just a different story, but these are two totally different. I know, and there, there's a lot of questions about this that, that I, I'm still trying to find out. You know, it's like I dug and dug trying to see if I could find information about this. The only thing that I could really gleam uh, was that uh, in they never explained why Byrne came back with Claremont and did this story after they had been away from Marvel team up for what 30 odd issues at this point, they'd been yeah. away from red, red Sonia and it was, was the last story they did. And you know, they come and do this and it's just a 10 page filler. And you know, I'm sorry. It was hard to find the art in all the words. No, it's uh. It, it, I mean, this is as wordy as it gets for a comic book. It's Claremont. His, yeah. his dialogue is always dense. Definitely Claremonti, and then there's <laughs> there's parts of it where, you, uh, of course, this is a, this this story is a, is a is a is a uh, a point of consternation for Byrne, and the fact that it's supposed to sit there and say their feelings for one another can never be you know requited they 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 go on their separate paths that's it and yet years later someone else comes in and, and gets them married and and everything and he thought that was a disservice to the story well this does have a kind of this does have a very bittersweet ending in that you obviously they uh that they had some type of connection because mm -hmm. what what you don't show it but they talk about that after she rescues him they spend some time together Going at, marching across, I guess she's heading towards. Uh, he has to go back to Wakanda, but she's heading towards. Is it Kenya? Ke yeah, I think that's where she winds up, and she kind of becomes her goddess. So they do. We don't know if it's weeks or months or how long. We don't know if they. I mean, it's hard to think that he was 
she was 12 and he looks like he might be maybe 15, 14. Yeah. That maybe, I don't if they were romantically involved or not, but they obviously grew close and became uh, good friends. Right. That he, you know, but it's that situation where duty calls and he has to, he has a king, you know, he has to, a kingdom he has to run and she had, she wanted to find kind of, she's kind of searching for her place in the world. So she right. finds it as this goddess that she, um, you know, looks after where the natives kind of worship her. And I think that's what they're saying that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, what could have happened. Right. Almost the right. beginning of a, what if story, like what if storm and Panther had gotten married, but it, it did happen. Yeah. And then they got divorced. And then they got divorced, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask if you thought, and not so much in this story, but do you think that when they got, because they got married in what, um, Black Panther number 18, which was in 2006. Yeah, and I was long uh, away from books for the most part. Yeah, there was a Civil War tie-in. Do you think that they decided that they should get married? I mean, whatever reason they they when they decide to marry off a character, did they think, well, these are the two prominent, our most prominent African-American characters that we should get them together? Is it because they're both African? Is it because, I mean, you know, truly African? Is it, I mean, I wonder what decided to put those two. Is it she's kind of a, kind of a, a goddess-like, queen-like character? No, it's, it's because of this story. So they just want, they were just, they're just. They, they were a fan of this age, this period of 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 marvel comics and so like you know all other the thing is is that and and this is one of those things that that we hear a lot about the the people that are writing comic books today and within the last 20 years were the fans of the previous age you know obviously yeah now now the people in the previous age they were either the first creators or they were mildly fans of the golden age but you know the thing is, is like they didn't they didn't sit there and keep going back to the well. They created new things. But when these guys came in, they didn't create new things. They just took what was there in the sandbox and mashed them together. Like you know, it's like kids with their with their action figures and dolls and stuff. They're mm-hmm. mashing them together. <laughs> I want these ones to kiss, you know. And you know, Claremont and Byrne did this, and so that means something for the future. It's just like going back to the well in days of future past and, you know, turning all that into what it was when it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And, and that's kind of the case here. Now, that being said, I mean, it's that's that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. We as fans, you know, we see these things and it makes our mind go, hmm, what would have happened? Where would it have gone? I'd like to have known that. And so someone eventually, another fan that's going to get in that sandbox is going to do that. And he's going to tell us, well, here's what would have happened. And the thing is, having them get married and then get divorced, you know, might be likely, might not be likely. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, it's it's the way comic books go. There's no couple stay together forever. Nobody stays married forever. Nobody stays dead forever. Yeah, that's for, true. Except for Uncle Ben and it was um, it was Bucky, but now Bucky's back. No, there's Uncle Ben, and I don't know. There's somebody else out there that's still dead. After well, all the, these years. well, the kids are are dead, then not dead, then then dead, and 
the the Waynes are usually stay dead. They don't they don't come. Yeah, back. yeah. The the Waynes stay dead. <laughs> uh, Cyclops, the guy that we loved, he's been gone for a long time. As they made Cyclops the jerk, you know. They sometimes they don't know what to. He's a kind of a character. I think he he suffers a little bit. What Superman that has that sometimes writers don't know how to write him. Well, the, the thing is, is that Cyclops was written as initially he was the the quiet, shy, closed off person who then was thrust in a position of leadership and had to sit there and grow into that and learn to do it. And he did it by emulating the man that that was teaching him. And that man was a very hard man, Charles Xavier. And as the years went on and Cyclops grew into the leadership role and he became as as good a tactician as anybody. And the moment where you see it really good is in the – uh, during the Claremont burn run, of course, uh, there was a, se- a sequence in the Savage Land with Sauron, I believe. And mm-hmm. then, of course, there was the Proteus uh, I- encounter where, where Wolverine had gotten completely uh, uh, fried, where he was just, like, freaked out. He was scared. He was afraid after his encounter with Proteus. And Cyclops pushes and pushes and pushes him over the edge in such a way that Wolverine attacked him in full berserker rage. And Cyclops was able to take him and Colossus and all that on and still able to not get himself killed. And we saw more of that later when, uh, when um, Matty Pryor came, it turned, you know, turned out not to be Phoenix and mastermind was messing around with everybody and Cyclops had to take on the X-Men, but someone sit there and took that and said, yeah, this is a hard man. And they kept making him harder. And, you know, after he got out of the hands of Claremont, you know, other other guys just made him harder and harder. Grant Morrison even. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's you've got to look at the whole thing. And nobody's looking at the whole thing anymore. They're just looking at the elements that they like or don't like. But the, the, the other thing here is that when a writer comes in, a writer's got characters that they like. And they got characters that they're okay with. And then they got characters they don't like at all. And you can tell that by the way they get treated in the stories. Oh, yeah, obviously. And, you know, so there's a lot, you know, there's people that are going to like Wolverine or they're going to like Nightcrawler. Or they're going to like Storm or whatever. And they're going to give Cyclops more of a short shrift as a result of that. Well, he's often, he was often like Superman. He was kind of described as a big Boy Scout. He was... Kind of the goody two shoes, kind of the by the book. He was, he was dull. He was boring, and I think he was just he was just stoic. He he mm-hmm. he exactly. kind of he he didn't have a lot of time to put up with nonsense. And it was it was kind of like you know we've got a job to do. We need to do it. So I right, think they and, did, and, they, and when it was just a few years, he could lament about the fact of his power being what it was and how it was a curse. But the longer that you let someone sit there and lament that, the more they seem just freaking emo. And that can get on your nerves. And I think that's probably why it turned him sour on so many people. Well, I think they, they like like in films, you know, they want uh, bigger, faster, splashier. So the characters mm-hmm. like Wolverine were coming to the forefront. And uh, I think short of... Maybe Cap and maybe Batman. A lot of times, characters that are strong leaders are are, are overlooked. 
I mean, you certainly look at Cap, and yes, Cap's got, you know, peak-level ability. I'm just saying, I think they take uh, the characters that are in a leadership role, and they do get kind of overlooked, because unless they are, like I said, with Cap is, you know, Cap's strongest, his strongest ability is not the fact that he is a peak-level athlete. His strongest ability is that he inspires people. He is a leader. You know, people right. listen to him. It's his strong uh, force of character. That's his main strength. And right. I think a lot of times when you have characters like that that aren't that aren't is shown to be that much of a leader, the way Cap is, sometimes they get um, they they are thought of as being kind of dull, or they don't know how to write him. Right. You know, if he doesn't have a flashy power. You know, how are we going to write him? So. Um, I mean, they certainly proved that with Storm. And when she was leading the Morlocks, when she lost her power, she proved that she didn't need powers to be uh, a great leader. So, right, right. Well, do you want to get into this one here? Yeah. Uh, this won't take yeah. long. There's not much to this story. I know. I got to say though, on this very first panel, I was really surprised, considering the book that it was, the era that it was, that 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 she didn't put like Luke. Cage and Misty Knight in that little pan- panel there to the left of Storm. <laughs> the back, that easily that that could easily be them right there in that corner. That kind of looks like Misty Knight at the very bottom. Uh, just the hair's a little short, uh, and then we were accustomed to seeing her because she always went with the big the big kind of fro, yeah, you know, action. And then and then the guy there's you know he's not like Luke or uh, obviously not hmm. Danny who she would probably be with. Looks more like Billy um, D. What Billy D. Williams? Yeah, yeah next to Billy D. Williams. You got that right. <laughs> now the um, I, I got to say uh, Bob McCloud's inking on Burns artwork I think is gorgeous. Um, I you know it's like because when I first read this and I didn't look at, at who was inking I I thought it was Terry Austin. You know I I would give him almost as as, as Props as good as, as Terry Austin. Yeah, it's not quite as crisp for, for how he's how he's doing the art. Yeah, you, you can tell there's there's a little roughness, and I, I thought okay, well it's just earlier, you know, than that. But no, it uh, it's but it uh, I, I still like the uh, I like the inking, though. This guy that that you know got that weird, I hate to say it, penis gun. <laughs> That's true. He should storm with a uh, penis with a, a laser sight on it. Or, or a scope on it. it, but the thing I don't understand is that in in like the uh, the Sabretooth issue of Iron Fist and this, how come none of these people can actually shoot somebody through the head? How come they only graze the head? Nobody, and he's got a scope and everything. I don't know. He, he's just a lousy shot, yeah. or or. Uh... But wait a minute, doesn't. If you look at the first page of uh, Iron Fist, I think it was 14. It was the first appearance of Sabretooth. And Iron Fist is leading uh, uh, Colleen Wing. And she gets shot and grazed on the head. And it, it, this made me think of that. And so I was like, yeah. I, I went back. I, I, I'd gone back to that to take a look at that. And I was like, oh, it's it's different. But still, you know, it's like Claremont and Byrne, they, uh, they like to graze people in the head. Well, that's the best way of, you know, not killing them, not killing him and just knocking them out. You know, if it was a, yeah, you know, if this was a comic, she'd be hit by some kind of energy beam instead of a, uh, it wouldn't be a, an actual rifle. It'd be something that just kind of stuns her. But, you yeah. know, I guess at first I thought, 
later on that uh, Andreas was trying to lead them back to him like he was just, uh, setting a trap, but he's not. He really meant this guy was trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, doesn't, and then he gets the the full force of uh, Storm brought down on him. And this was, I thought, was interesting that he is South African because he's using some derogatory term. He calls her. Uh, and that, that was the other question is I couldn't tell because, you know, from all appearances in my copy, he looks African American. Uh, yeah, he black. doesn't mind too. He, look, he, he looks black. Yeah, and so it, that was that was my other questioner because he's using some very offensive terms. Very yes, a and, term which I hadn't, I hadn't heard. I first heard that her term in uh, Lethal Weapon Two. Lethal Weapon that. Two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, which I think was odd, but I guess there are. I mean, I mean, I, I give him credit for not drawing him as uh, a white person. To kind of show, obviously, that he's racist and he's from South Africa and he doesn't like uh, doesn't like her based on the color of her skin. But the fact that he is another uh, African American, I think that no, shows he's, Af- he's just African. African, yeah, not, yeah, he's not African American. He's African. Um, yeah, he's African. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just you know, I think it got some guts that you know show that well, you know, it, it he he's from South Africa too, but he's just as racist, even though they share the same skin. So, I mean, is that like, is saying that like saying gringo? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, because I, it, you know, it's, it's, what do they call it? The, uh, the K word. I, I won't repeat it here, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I've never looked back on, on what the meaning of it then. Because, I mean, is it, is it like an outsider? I'm going to have to Google that. I Google, I, I looked it up when I was reading this and I didn't write down yeah. the definition, but it's based on, Another word that's kind of it is used to put someone down and to uh, you know it's like any racial slur is exactly what it is. So, um, but I think it was maybe a word that has been kind of um, used to, uh, and they've kind of modified it or they've kind of co-opted it to to mean something. I, I think it was misused here. Think so. I, I, I really do. I think I think that was a mistake on, on Claremont's part. But I mean, I could be wrong. And well, doesn't know, it doesn't it list it as being a uh, a slur a, or a derogatory term as an ethnic ethnic slur? So I mean, it for for a you know person of color. So I mean, it's it, I just yeah, it doesn't say. I mean, I mean, the it is an ethnic slur to refer to a black person. You know, nothing, nothing beyond that. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just maybe it was just a a, a term that was that. There's another. There's another word he could have used. Obviously, he wouldn't be from South Africa, but it it fits the same. You know, the other word we're all thinking about. He could have said the same thing, but it's uh, obviously he wouldn't say that because that's the, not, that's not something they. I guess that's not the slur they use in South Africa, but. Anyway, beside the point, he is—he's uh, not too fond of her until she basically tries to drown him on the roof, and he kind of breaks down and and uh, lets her know that it was Andreas de de Reuter or Reuter or uh, I want to say Routier. Routier. Yeah, so I was passing wrong the whole time. It makes sense. Uh, I, the whole time I was reading that, I kept thinking de Rutu. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, of course, that, you know, upon hearing the name, she gets her little flashback. And her walking across the desert reminded me of there's a X-Men issue, and I don't know which one it is, but I think Art Adams is doing the artwork. Maybe a, a uh, an annual where mm-hmm. Karma... Is it Karma? Yeah, Karma. Yeah, I remember this. When she yeah. gets possessed by... Not um, Mojo. Farouk. Yeah, and she basically gains all this weight and she becomes really obese. Right. And she winds up wandering in the desert and she... With has, the little girl. The little girl has to survive and by the time she gets to where she's going, she's lost all this weight and she's kind of become more fit and so that's what this and reminded me of. stretch mark. No. Well, no, she's a mutant, you know. They have very elastic skin. Or, or sunburn. Well, I'm sure she uh, she took precautions. She's just like 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 Ray in on Jakku. Not a single not not a sunburn, not a tan line, not a. You well, know. look at look at Luke. Don't you think Luke would be look like he's came off the uh, the, yeah. the California the uh, surf circuit? You know, he'd be as brown as he could be. Yep, this is true. Wasn't well, a Corvette summer there on Tatooine? Yeah. <laughs> So Storm meets up with these guys that are beating up uh, T'Challa, and she decides that. Well, I think this is where she's. They say she uses her powers for the first, or she flies for the first time. She flies for the first time. Um, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> and again, I think this is a, another case where he went off script. Burn did, or you think? Uh, uh, no, Claremont. Claremont did. did, because showing just the way that she flew there is not the way someone that would be unsteady the very first time that wind is blowing them a direction or another, you know, you'd be shaking, your arms would be flailing, you know, it would be a mess. She takes takes to a pretty, well, unlike in most people doing comics, she takes, I mean, to the point where she's even dive bombing, uh, the soldiers to, and startles them. So they, uh, they let go of it to child. And then she basically, grabs him and uh well she hadn't flown off with him yet but that's when the bruiser comes out and, and this guy reminded me of the guy in raiders that fights yeah uh, raider uh, uh indy in mm-hmm. front of the uh the flying wing yeah because he's just kind of he's called he's called uh de Routier, the bull and he is just a big kind of a mountain of a man and yeah that that first shot of him when he comes out of the back of the of the truck it, it looks kind of off uh, scale. I mean, it makes him look like a true mountain of a man next yeah. to the truck. Yeah. But, you can, of course, he's a distance away from the others. So, you know, he's trying to get perspective to make him look big. But even when he gets there to T'Challa and he gives him that punch, mm-hmm. that's like, man, that is a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can see in the next page where he sees him on the ground and he and he's uh, congratulating T'Challa on, you know, Actually, knocking him to the ground. He's a, I mean, the child again is a is a teen, but this guy looks like he's easily you know six six three hundred fifty pounds or something. Yeah, yeah, almost like Cross was in Ant Man. Yeah, uh, and then I guess this maybe I guess the first time she's used lightning because she blasts the gun from him. He has a like a like a dart gun. Yeah, we'll never get, know. Yeah, because they're they're well, we didn't mention it that. Wait. that no, it said uh, he'd assume that the ability to create a wind was Aurora's only power. It wasn't. Uh, it doesn't say anything more than that, though, as far as you know, her power. No, and it's all. It's all. Um, uh, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, 
and what we didn't what it did mention in the uh, the the synopsis is that his their plan is to take uh, T'Challa back to uh, uh, Johannesburg and make him uh, a like a puppet ruler. They want to, I guess, brainwash right. him or do something and send him back to Wakanda, and then they'll you know he'll they'll pull his strings and mine all the vibranium or whatever yeah. minerals are there. Yeah, because he says there are your country is a mineral treasure trove, right? And you know, they want to basically exploit that, but uh, but of course Aurora uh, blasts his gun and then. Fly, basically, gra- you know, grabs a stick and flies off with, uh, with T'Challa, leaving Derutier uh, just kind of screaming at him. Mm-hmm. And then she goes back to where she's at the embassy looking for, and it's just, it's just like it's just, just hap- she's lucky that he happens to be in New York, you know, that he would be at the embassy instead of back at Wakanda. Yeah. And what do you think of that shot of the city there with Storm as she's standing outside the uh, embassy? Because you've got like the brownstone type buildings close by, and then you've got the glass and steel buildings in behind the, it. In the in the background, it's kind of a jarring transition. I mean, I like it myself, but it is a little jarring too. Yeah, I think that the buildings in the background give it a, a kind of a sense of that it's it's night and um, you're getting uh, you know a lot of light off those off the, the skyscrapers, mm-hmm. but. He's got a lot of packed in these panels. There are no really large panels in right. this story, and he's yeah. done, he's and it, as you said, it's it's the dialogue is dense, and he's got a lot of he's and he's filled all of this you know all of the uh, panels he's filled up the the that bottom panel where he's there show them walking into the uh, I guess the waiting area that's nicely done. You see a lot of African art and other mm-hmm. artifacts and. Tribal masks. Tribal mask. And, yeah, yeah. One of the, the butler's helping him in. And then. Wait, is that uh, under her word balloon? You've got animals, trust, uh, uh, stuffed animal heads. Yeah. Hanging off there. That that right there, I'm, I'm surprised with. Well, I think that's. that. You probably wouldn't see that today, but that's. No. That's. Uh, I think that's a product of it being a 1980. You know, it's like, well, he's, you know, he's yeah. a hunter. He would have stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then no. look on the floor. There's a. It looks like to be some sort of bearskin rug too. Yep, yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. And T'Challa comes in out of the shadows, and they have a they have a kind of a nice meet cute, and they're happy to see each other. And I guess this is the first time he's seen each other since their encounter years before. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever. I don't think he ever showed up any of the X books. No, I don't. I don't recall him ever showing up. At least not in this era. Yeah. Um, at, at all, of course. You know, now what we get to see here, of course, is his. He's got access to what Avengers files, as well as his own. And Interpol, the CIA, under, Interpol, CIA, everybody yeah. else. He's got yeah. a tab. He's got his own little bat cave there, where he's. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of the panel right above where he's at the computer, where he's kind of turning away from her and says, I remember his forehead looks really distended. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He looks like uh, his, yeah, the face looks a little pushed in. It, uh, it doesn't look like a burned face. It looks like the mm-hmm. face was redrawn. It's redrawn or it's been heavily inked over. It does. You're right. It doesn't look, the mouth doesn't look like burn. Um, the head, he almost looks like he's got a scar across his forehead. I think yeah, it's I, just, a, I think, I think he misjudged the way burn was doing the eyebrows. 
Yeah. And and he he redrew redrew everything there. Um, because I'm starting to pay more attention to the faces after I've been reading more and more from uh, anchors like Necros, who's been talking about why you know he was instructed to redraw faces in certain books in certain cases. Um, you know, because the editors usually had you know the the anchors come in. And redraw faces, or the anchors would do it on their own, like yeah. uh, like Dave Cockrum did in the um, the the last issue of Iron Fist, I believe, when uh, Iron Fist fought the X Men, Wolverine and the X Men. Um, they had sent the pages to uh, Cockrum because they weren't sure about what costume Wolverine was wearing. Hmm. And so he put the fan costume on him, but he redrew all the X-Men's faces. Byrne didn't know about this until it hit the stands. That's interesting. I don't know why uh, Cockrum would do that. You know, why they would tell him to do it. I don't know if they told him to do it or if he just decided to do it. That's that's the thing. I mean, it, again, it's one of those things that a long time ago, and Cockrum is gone, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. passed away. Yeah, he yeah. passed yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah. Which is a shame. But, uh, yeah, as it may, you know, I mean, I'm starting to pay more attention to those types of things, trying to see where someone else is is uh, taking over the art in it. And and this is one of those cases where it sure does look like, yeah, Bob McCloud redrew the face because it looks like something Bob McCloud would draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm mostly familiar from his work from – some work that he did on Spider-Man, and then of course I read every issue of New Mutants that Bob McCloud was. That's where I know him. And I, I think he had what Sal Basima uh, inking him or working with him on that. But uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's where I'm most familiar with his work is uh, New Mutants. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get his autograph. Uh, like the last time I was at New York, the only time I was at New York Comic Con, I got they had Claremont and Bob McCloud were sitting right next to each other, so I had Burn. I mean, not Burn. I had um, Claremont sign my New Mutants uh, graphic novel, and he kind of gave it back to me. He goes, "Now you get Bob to sign it." And I said, "Yep, I'm you know, <laughs> my step one one pace over. Get him to sign it." <laughs> but uh, we get a really, a really kind of a gorgeous shot at the bottom with them silhouetted against the moon. Um, yeah, I, I love the perspective on the. I've always loved the way Burn has drawn his architecture. And he's got these windows with. Uh, these nice straight lines and uh, all that uh, bright yellow behind it gives you a really good sense that there's, you know, that it's nighttime. Yeah, this makes me think of uh, his Untold Legends of the Batman mm-hmm. issue that he did with uh, Jim Aparo. Uh, and they sneak in. Um, and he, for the first time, mm-hmm. not a burn trooper. Nope. Looks <laughs> more like Errol Flynn. But those are <laughs> those are burn sunglasses. Yes, <laughs> and, and and turtleneck. Yep, can't forget the turtleneck. Yeah, I'm surprised he's not wearing riding pants. I mean, he could be. We just can't see that low. But all that aside, the bottom of the page, a burn bot. Yep, that robot. That, that robot is all burn. It's like Raj 2000 on steroids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks a little bit like uh, what's the? There's a robot that's. Is it in Guardians? Is it, it's a big robot. Is it Warbot or War? It's a big robot with a little robot that rides on top of him, kind of like Master Blaster. It, Benny and Cecil, uh, Warstar. Warstar. That, Warstar. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It looks like that. Maybe because Byrne might have drawn them in Ohatmu. Maybe that's why I'm making that connection. Hmm. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I finally remembered uh, in, in our feedback episode, I was trying to remember who it was that infiltrated the X-Mansion, and it was Warhawk. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, it was a Claremont story, but it wasn't Burn on the Art. It was someone else completely different. And in the classic X-Men reprints, they skipped over that issue. It's weird. Yeah. That's really weird. Was, that's that's why I mean a lot of people just completely dismiss the issue because it was just it's not there. It wasn't, yeah. Are you uh, are you reading scans? Yeah, you are. You reading the yeah. the same? So you have the houses fruit pie ad. Yes. We rarely get ads because a lot of times we're reading uh, recolored uh, issues and they don't have the. And I always get a kick out of these when uh, Luke Jack and Eddie covers when he's covering or now covering Marvel Godzilla and he always covers the. Uh, the host his ads when he's reading his books. Yeah, I was trying to figure out who did the art on this because they, the way they draw Iron Man's face, you know, the 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 chin at the bottom is so squared mm-hmm. across the bottom, it looks really really weird. It makes him look like he's got a heavy jaw. Well, on that center panel, it looks a little like Milgram, but I mean that's just maybe because it's a real basic. The rest of it doesn't, but just the way he's drawn Iron Man. Uh, you know the 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 background characters are very distinct, and I'm sorry, Milgram's not very good at making background characters look distinct. No, that's why I thought uh, yeah. the rest of it couldn't be him. I don't know. I don't know where you find if these have a. I know that. I don't know where you find. Uh, is there a list of this or a database or how do you? F- I don't think so because a lot of them didn't want to be associated. To, well, it's not that they did. They, they didn't want their, their the fact that they did it out there because. They change their art style enough. Yeah. And and not they're not necessarily, you know, Marvel's not necessarily glad that they're doing it. Uh, in this case, I think Marvel's fine with it because it's the characters. But they're going by a different style guide than the Marvel style yeah. guide, obviously. Because you remember when Byrne did that Hulk one, that he, he made it look as generic as possible. So mm. you couldn't, you know, it was that hard was to him. tell. It. You could tell. But you had to look carefully. You had to know what to look for. Yeah, this is kind of a uh, kind of a basic Marvel House style kind of look to it. Mm-hmm. And we'll say that's not even. It's just Iron Man versus the bank robbers. There's not. There's no colorful, goofy. You know, that, that could be Klaus Jansen. <sighs> it didn't look scratchy enough to be him, but it could be. Like you said, if he's trying to draw down to yeah. a certain style. Yeah. I mean, I, I just see certain things that do make me think of Klaus Janssen a little bit, but not everything, obviously. And, I mean, this is 80, so it's before he really went in his own direction, you know, with Miller. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on, there's that <laughs> – golly, that burn bot is gorgeous, but it is so definitely a burn bot. <laughs> well, his head looks a little bit like the robot from Power Rangers. What's the robot that was in their headquarters? He kind I, of a saucer. I, okay, the only thing from the Power Rangers I know is that they're colored rangers and that there was a toy for them called the Deluxe Megazord. <laughs> and if you want to know how I know that, listen to my Storytellers episode that I did with Chris Honeywell. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's 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 it as far as the Power Rangers go. I think I know what you're talking about because I think I've seen the toy yeah. of it because they've got a lot of Power Rangers toys out here and my son's always wanting to look at the toys – uh, whenever we go to go to the store, so well, it's a uh, it's kind of their version of Seven's Arc Seven from Battle of the Planets. 
Oh man, I love Seven you, Dark you know, Seven. You know that reference. Oh yes. So, so yeah, we have a gorgeous burn bot comes out. Uh, and it looks enormous. It looks like it must be about 10, 12 feet tall. And he, and he comes out. He's basically just, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the kill him? And they realize that it's, um, the Reuters voice coming from, and he uses some more racial slurs when he's talking to him. Uh, Storm zaps him with power or lightning, but he, you know, says, well, I've been insulated. Kind of backhands her. Uh, T'Challa's kind of doing what he can, but I'm not sure what he, what much he can do against, uh, you know, a two-ton yeah. robot. I wonder, I wonder here on this page, cause you know, the, the, in the previous page, we know that they came across the robot in the dark. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing is, is that you can tell in these panels that they're trying to maintain the fact that it's dark. And as a result, like the the work that the Panther's doing, he just kind of fades off to the right yeah. side in that first panel. You lose him a little bit. And in the, the third panel, he's just barely in there, and he, he's almost like melding into the flooring. <laughs> <laughs> it, and, you know, it's like if, if they could have found some way of saying, oh, well, we got the lights on or or whatever, so he could have put more punch into it so it wouldn't look so it, – it made these panels look muddy. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does kind of blend in. And then the bottom storm's got some weird cat eyes while she's – yeah, she's yeah. That is really, it's creepy because it yeah. reminds me of something out of like a Warren Publishing creepy magazine or Vampirilla or something like that. Yeah, because I always thought they had they established by now that her her eyes go white when she's using her powers. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the all through this story, they've got they've they've gone to serious pains to make her eyes very cat like. Yeah. Yep. Um. So there's that. It, it it does seem to me that in the some of the the uh, you know more close up shots of the robot that I think McCloud had some difficulty giving it the definition that Byrne wanted because like the the third panel where it's you know he's saying he's fully insulated it's like you having a hard time making out the mechanics what, what that is yeah what, it's, and and then when you get to the next page and it's going through the floor it's like you know he was trying to to relay motion in that it was kicking down but it you know kicking the hole in the floor and the legs and the torso just don't seem right yeah he's losing a little bit he's losing a little bit of definition there in the legs yeah and he's got kind of a, a scale problem too i think with the panther because now the panther Looks like the robot now looks like he's about twenty feet tall. Yeah, the panther looks tiny in the bottom. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then the next page again, like you said, he's he's blending in when he's picking her up off the floor. He is uh, he's kind of disappearing into the background. And I, I like the idea that he can do that, but it just didn't seem to be what was needed for this story. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because when they because when they finally make it down to the basement and he kicks in the door, that middle panel, she's got the cat eyes again. Yeah, I wonder if that that must be a McLeod idea. He was just doing, uh huh, doing that. But that that shot of him in the chair that looks like um, Mongol the Merciless in DC Comics Presents twenty eight <laughs> when he was in War World. 
war world and uh, was frying his mind. He was just sitting <laughs> in a chair, you know. To me, it reminds that's, me that's of the uh, the architect from oh yeah the second Matrix movie. Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they just you know, and then finally, I guess the lights are on. So now we have uh, like no background, just and he's you know he's explaining that that uh, Deruter was. You know, wired into the robot, and once it got deactivated, basically he just died. Mm-hmm. And it they they say I guess he was sick. They said he was like Consumed he was by disease, right? Like maybe he has cancer or something. He was dying. So you know, was did he just you know he okay? I'm dying. Uh, build me a robot. Uh, you know, slave it to my brain so I can control it. And it's just going to sit in a dark room. And if somebody comes in, I'm just going to attack him. I mean, he's like he's he's. What was he doing with this robot? Was he sending it out? Was it just a bodyguard? That was his bodyguard, yeah. yeah. So I guess he, but, you know, yeah. he figured he was going to have more enemies. He certainly wasn't expecting them to come by. I, I don't think that that this is a story that would stand much scrutiny if yeah. you peeled <laughs> peeled those layers back too much. Yeah, it's, you know? I mean, it's just a great story that that deals with one. You get a little origin story on Storm and T'Challa, and you get to see them together again and. Um, and then you get to see this kind of, like you said, this bittersweet ending where they realize that, you know, there's something there, but we each have our own responsibilities. You know, he, maybe he feels, oh, I can't ask you to, to leave the X-Men. You know, I have to go and be the leader of my country. I can't leave. And it's not fair for me to ask you to leave and be with me and he can't leave to be with her. So it's like, right. You know, there are, do you know, do you know what this, this makes me think now? Looking back on it and looking at what it did, how it brought them together and, and did what it did in 10 pages, which mm-hmm. is in itself a, a miraculous feat. That's a feat, but, yeah. But, you know, everything that it did, I, I think what this was, was this was like, and I don't know if it was Shooter or if it was just um, the, the book editor themselves coming to him. It was uh, Denny O'Neill. Now, that would make sense because Denny O'Neill is that kind of guy. Um is that kind of guy uh, maybe he was like hey i'd like you guys to give a clinic on how to do a team-up story that's not let's get them together make them fight and then team up against the bad guy that guy yeah you know and and this i mean that's what this is this is this is a way of of, of bringing these guys together for a common enemy even though it, you know they seem disparate in, in the comic book world. She's a mutant over here. He's the king of, of Wakanda and an Avenger over there. But there's the only two black people we know, so let's get them together. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does seem like, well, they've got to hang out with each other. I, I can I can hear uh, Danny Glover saying, must be the only two black comic book characters they know. <laughs> if you ever seen the movie Grand Canyon, that's, that's what that's from. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's uh, – but I think that's, that's what this was. This was a clinic. For, for the other guys to, to look at. Well, I wonder now, if, if it was, was did they come to Burn and, and Claremont and say, hey, we need a 10-page backup and just make it a team-up, do whatever you want? Or did they have, somebody had this in mind, gave it to them and said, here, write a story with Black Panther and or uh, Storm. I mean, I wonder what the, the, uh, the origins of this story, who's, you know, who's the... Well, if you remember, uh, in the other Marvel team-up stories... That they worked on together. Now, they, I mean, the the Iron Fist one 
and, and Spider-Man, that one very tenuous way of getting them together. You know, Spidey taking pictures of his apartment for the the bugle. Yeah. You know, it was very contrived. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that most of the stories that they had had uh, a, a way of flowing from one issue to the next, even though you were changing the cast as it was going. And you were able to keep up with it. And it just wasn't, you know, really ridiculous. I mean, again, you had the Captain Britain one, which was, oh, we're going to make Peter Parker take in a foreign exchange student. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, again, you know, it's, it, there are things that we accept and then there are things that we let, you know, that, that we that we just can't buy. Well, they did a great job of, as you said, of, ha- of doing a handoff that right. it would. OK, he's teamed up with. Fantastic Four of this issue. They solve their problem, but something happens and the next one he's got to team up with. And sometimes he'll like he'll hand off. He'll be like, okay, and now right. we're Daredevil. Uh, but to solve this problem, I'm at a, it's the same storyline, but now I am have to team up with Doctor Strange. So, you know, the Daredevil's gone, Doctor Strange is in. So they did a good job of moving it forward. So it seems sequential, but we had a different guest star in each issue. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, Marvel team up that after Claremont and Byrne left. Well, I mean, Byrne left and Claremont stayed on for a few issues. But, you know, after he got out of there, you know, they it was just it seemed like it was just um, a lot of it was, you know, in the drawer stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the things that they pulled or they just, you know, sit there and said, well, go ahead and write a team up story. And, uh, you know, we'll give it to this artist or whatever. And, and, you know, they were trying out artists because, well, I mean, you usually saw stories where Don Perlin and and someone or, or Mike Esposito was doing the artwork or it, it just didn't um, really – there was no cohesiveness from one issue to the next. Yeah, and they were pulling some obscure characters sometimes that to – to team him up with it wasn't the main the mainstay but uh that's you know that's not a bad idea to have it's almost like a tryout book you know to have people to kind of get a little more experience in what they're doing Mm -hmm. because it wasn't that that's not a book that's all heavy in continuity and you can kind of change it from from uh issue to issue yeah but i i think when we were kids these were the stories that that pulled us in more than, you know, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, yeah, sure. I'd pick up the Batman books or I'd pick up the Captain America books or I'd pick up Spider-Man by himself. But man, I tell you, I had a, I had a soft spot for DC comics presents brave and the bold Marvel team up two and one, you know, super villain team up stuff like that. There was something a bit more electric and it, it grabbed my fancy a lot quicker than just the solo books of most of those characters. Well, they were, they were written a little, I think a little more, a little more fun in, in, in mind. And they, unlike other books that, you know, each book is each issue of a book is meant to be that it could be, it's going to be someone's first issue. So if you pick it up, you should be able to kind of get a sense of who the characters are without having to have read the previous 200 issues. Right. I think with uh, with Marvel Team Up and like I said, um, uh, Brave and Bold, those are more one and done. So it's easier just to pick it up and read just a little self contained cool story, without having to have a bunch of baggage behind it with a, with another character. So maybe that may, it was more of a, a gateway comic. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, you got anything else on uh, 
our little tin pager here. Yeah, I think I think you know we we've covered it pretty good, and we've yeah. had our, our thoughts on on you know what happened in there. Um, and you know, like I said, it it, it made me kind of yearn for, for more books like this, more books from this age. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes me want to go back and read the the Marvel team ups and such, and you know, um, you know, it, it just go over this. Now, I, I got to tell you, earlier today, uh, I gave my wife a very uh, Cliff Notes version of Crisis of the Infinite Earths. Oh, really? That's yeah. We were we were talking about Supergirl. And we got on the subject of, you know, um, there was a, I, I was listening to uh, Oh Hot Moo or Not, and I was looking at uh, the Fire and Water webpage, and they also had a, a who's who about the Legion, and they had a shot of Supergirl, and it was in that costume that she was wearing pretty much around the time that she was killed in Crisis. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, sorry, spoilers for 30 years ago. Uh, just kidding but and and uh, so it's like she my wife wasn't very she wasn't she didn't think that costume was was very nice she didn't like that costume you know the one with the red headband oh was she wearing the red headband at that time i thought she uh, was in the in the legion entry okay um it had her with the headband but of course you know by the time they did uh uh crisis you know perez had his own model yeah that he was working with that was a little different because in the other books that she'd been in, like Superman Family, I think Carmine Infantino was doing some stories with her. And, yeah, she had the headband for his stories. But when, when Perez got a hold of her in Crisis, she wasn't uh, wasn't wearing that. But, you know, I basically walked my wife through the entire series using my trade paperback. And, did, you know, of course, she's going, well, who's this? Now, who's that? Now, why is it? And, why, and, you know, I'm sitting there explaining to her. You know, it's like, she goes, well, why does Superman look different? And I said, well, this is the old Superman. And you think of this one as George Reeves, and this is Christopher Reeve. Yeah. And, and it's like, she really liked that, though. She 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 really liked the concepts of all that and, and whatnot. And, of course, you know, she is blubbering as much as I am when we get to the point of Supergirl's death. <laughs> To see that, and then she had to read it. I couldn't read it to her. She had she had to read it, read read that part. And so she's sitting there going through that. And then we went all the way through, you know, the Flash and everything else that happened. Watch Robin and Crystal and all them and Lori Lamaris, and then get all the way to the very end. And uh, she, you know, of course, you know, my wife is not one that's going to sit down and read comic books. But she likes that sort of cliff notes. Let's go through this. And I can show her the high points, the low points, and, she's and like all a that. Comic Digest. Yeah, um, and I mean, you know, it's like she's emotionally attached to all this because of the Berlanti verse and, and the shows that we're seeing there, and, and the other, you know, all, all all that. So you know, it's it's good because I can sit there and go through go through all this and. Um, show her these things and really get an emotional reaction out of her. I know that, you know, this has having an effect on her. We went through the dark Phoenix saga about six months ago and, you know, that right, that of course had, had a profound effect on her because, you know, of course she knows the X-Men from the movies, but she never realized how strong the relationship between her and Cyclops really was because the way the movies portrayed it all you know and how they they screwed that up in x-men 3 
the last stand. <laughs> well, has she come to terms with the evil that's dwelling within her? <laughs> I think uh, I've just you just stumbled, I've just stumbled upon an idea for uh, for you to do a solo podcast. You could synopsize these books, and that for it's almost like Audible for comics. You know, I don't, I don't have time to read the comic. I want somebody to kind of just tell me the idea of the comic. You know, synopsize it for me. So you take a book, maybe you go issue by issue. You take maybe you take like, oh, this is Crisis in a nutshell, and you do a thirty minute thing on it, and that way somebody doesn't have time to read all twelve issues. They just want to listen to Brian talk about it. This really sounds like a show for our for for my friend Aaron Henley. He would excel at this, but for me, God, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work, yeah. So you're doing I mean, you're doing all the work for somebody else. You know, the thing is, when I when I do it with my wife, I can she can sit there and and you know look upon the pages as much as she needs to, or we can skip over. I mean, again. I went over Crisis on Infinite Earths inside of an hour with her. All 12 issues. That is skimming over things. Yeah, and Just that's, showing her the imagery, giving her the, the, the brush points and everything. You can't do that. You know, I mean, that would have to be a YouTube type thing. But yeah. you couldn't, couldn't do it that way and do it justice and, and, and do it right. You can't just tell a person, okay, flip past all this, or just look at it real quick and go on to this thing. Now look at this panel here. That's right. Ignore this it, part. Yeah, you know, I, I can do it with her because she and I have a, a an intellectual shorthand that we can communicate on, and she, she, I mean, she's getting to the point where she can recognize certain bits of art and and such, and she appreciates some more than others. Um, you know, but I'll sit there and I'll just show her, you know, like a commission that Byrne has done. And she's like, wow, that's really gorgeous. So this looks like that. Or why does he have to make the boobs so big? Or You know, <laughs> you never ask <laughs> but, that. You never ask that. Come on. I never ask that, but she does. But that's, you know, <laughs> hey. uh, <laughs> that being said, no, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's a fun thing that we that we do. I, that sounds like it sounds like, a, you know. Well, I've been I've been wanting to do the Wolverine miniseries, the the Claremont Miller Wolverine miniseries with her, because I think that she really liked that. Maybe I will try recording it when we do it to see just yeah, just to see what it uh... how how that comes out. The the thing is is that it brings out so many non sequiturs and so many things that are just between us, you know, things that 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 only we know about each other or about this or about that. It it it's not something you know you, you that you definitely want to share with everyone and anyone. You're like, honey, yeah. you got a booger hanging off your nose. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Okay, I'll, I'll get yeah. that. Again. It's just yeah. It's a... Yeah. Anyway, uh, but they, you know that's uh, how did I get there? Uh, I, like I don't know. There. You were you were you were talking about talking about crisis. I have to admit, I have I own it. I've never read Crisis. I've never read it all the way through. You know, the, the thing is, reading it all the way through um, without the other books around it can be a little disjointed. There are some books around it that you should read, but you don't have to read all of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they cover things. They cover some things okay uh, and other things not not so well. Um the 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 whole thing because they didn't really give everything that was going on in legion or everything that was going on green lantern core 
as much as they should because you know this is where they brought Guy Gardner back. You know, yeah. John Stewart was uh, was the Green Lantern, but they brought back Guy Gardner. <laughs> I did want to uh, bring up the fact that we did get an email. Oh. And, uh, I mean, it's not really about any particular podcast or any, any particular show that we did. Um, our friend Kurt Greenfield, who uh, does the, uh, was it Imperious Rex? Or Confessions of, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader podcast, is asking for help. And he did this on Facebook. Uh, and I, you know, I, I sent him what I remembered, but I didn't find what he was specifically looking for. Uh, and so in this letter he sent us in November, he says, uh, Hey guys, can you help me locate an image I may be misremembering? About the time that the sensational She-Hulk series started up, I thought I saw an image of She-Hulk ripping a comic book in half on the cover. I found number one and number 60, which are bookended jokes on this theme. You know, it's the, mm-hmm. the you know, buy my new book or I'll come to your house and rip up all your X-Men. But yeah. they're not sure ripping it, you know. He goes, but I cannot find the image of her actually ripping, splitting a book. Was it an in-house ad in Marvel Age around this time? Did it appear in other issues on sale that month? Can you help me out? And apparently he's trying to develop a website promo image for a new podcast Okay. Confessions of a split book reader and wanted to play on the whole split book image. I think that the best thing you could find is that image of Lindsay Wagner ripping the phone book in half from the bionic woman. That would be good. Yeah. Thanks for any assistance, fellow burn victims. Kirk Greenfield, co-host of Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader podcast. And uh, that's, that's all the email that we got. Um, but there was a response to our podcast also. Yeah, there's David. David Thompson responded and John Hyatt. Uh, Dave Thompson says, love it, exclamation point. Well, that's that's the best way to – oh, he did write it quite a bit. Okay. Love it. Thanks for coming back from the long hiatus to entertain us again. Tim, you always – you will always be number one in my book. Ha, ha, ha. On the, on the feedback. Okay, I don't get that. <laughs> uh, Brian, you you because, have because been... you know I, I kept getting top billing. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Brian, you have you have never watched an entire episode of Doctor Who. Shame on you. I agree. Uh, I would start with the current run and work uh, way backwards. Personally, I can watch as far back as the mid eighties. The as far as back as the mid '80s gets too corny when you start closing in the '70s. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to stop and disagree, uh, Dave, because I'm a huge classic Who fan. Uh, I think you would watch as much of the classic Who as you can. Hmm. They're hard to come by, and they're of course different formats because they are back when the 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 shows were like 30 minutes a piece. But when you get them, they're always edited together into like a little mini movie, so it's like an hour and a half. But yeah, I got a bunch I can loan you. Uh, Torch would have. Would have been great if it had remained a big budget, if it remained a big budget stars miniseries production. Uh, Byrne would be a great editor and mentor cons- uh, consultant. Unfortunately, I doubt he has any desire to shape current comics or shepherd Marvel writers or artists. I agree there. It would be great for him. Uh, it would be great if him and Shooter came back and taught the current bullpen how to tell a story in two to three issues. Uh, amen for that. 
Yeah, I, I don't see you getting the two of them in the same room together, no. though. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, there are several Fly Fi series or one one shot comics under the title Serenity from 2005 to 2014 from Dark Horse. Mm. Whedon wrote it and had a couple of different artists. Fun fact: Pat Oswalt wrote one uh, wrote a one shot on Wash. Wash. Really? I, I, I need to find that. I like Pat Oswalt. Character powers or abilities. I have to. I have to take a counterpoint and say that I like each hero or villain being rated on a scale, i.e., the old Marvel trading card listing listing a scale of power within the universe. On Rebirth, Superman. Well, well hold on. Uh, now, again, you know, we were talking about Ohatmu, and I was yeah. bringing bringing out, you know, how Ohatmu kind of gave us this scale and said, okay, these. So these heroes are in class 100. They can lift 100 tons, and these are, you know, the 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 whatever, you know, the the ones below below that class is 75 tons or 80 tons. But he was still growing and and whatnot. But you know, the thing is, is that it. My only complaint, I I, I did like that. I mean, I would sit there, and every time I would read Ohatmu, if I would get to a character, I'd always look at that to see what it said about them, as as far as strength goes. Uh, it was it was interesting to me, and it was a great factoid filled uh, uh, book. But you know, at the same time, I think that it, it limited things so much, so that you you know you would sit there and look back on issues like that X Men with the Alpha Flight, and go, well, this is wrong. And then you've got fifteen billion different ways of getting a no prize because you're going to sit there and point out all <laughs> these different things where it's inconsistent with well, what it, it does. I mean, it, said. Yeah. When you when you start laying down the rules and you do uh, run the chance of kind of painting yourself into a corner. Yeah. But uh but as you said, I, I always loved it Mahatma because it would explain stuff and he always went to great pains to try to be very scientific about the way they explained how somebody's power worked or how the strength thing, all I remember is I don't remember any classes other than class 100. It was always well, they're in class I, 100 and then everybody else was just in – was just below it. Right. And, and I, I, you know, I say that and, and it's it's funny because the class 100, that was the highest that they would sit there and say. They they would never say, you know, they could lift 600, 800 tons. Yeah. They just said they could lift more than – Right. Class 100 is – Because beyond that, you know, it's like what's the point of, of – Yeah. You know, that, and, that's, and that we, keeps it vague enough. Like a, yeah, and then we had a celestial; it was just not applicable. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, yeah. There's no strength level, to that, but um, yeah, I agree. You have to keep it vague enough that you, like you said, you don't paint yourself into a corner and have to. You know, you get people saying, "Well, he, you said he could only lift this much, and he's obviously lifting this much." But yeah, David on continues uh, on yeah. Reaper Superman. Superman and action comics do very much bring Superman back to his burn roots. He is a family man. Married to Lois Lane and has a son, John Kent, the new Superboy. Rebirth literally merged the new 52 with the pre-Flashpoint Superman. This allowed DC to de-age Clark slightly and bring him, bring him, bring back his good old farm boy, loves America Superman. Uh, I would, re- I would recommend picking up the issues or the trades. I think you will like it. Thanks again for doing the show and providing us with great entertainment. Well, hey, for entertaining anybody, I'm, uh, I'm all up for that. Yep, me too. Yeah. Thanks a lot, David. We yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. you writing in. The next one, this really long one, is from John Hyatt. He says, enjoyed the show. Looking forward to having you back for regular episodes again. Thanks for the work. Yeah, short and sweet. Whew, man, that's a lot to deal <laughs> with. And he writes like Claremont, man. 
Golly, Tom Rzuchowski must have got a finger cramp on that no, one. He's, he's, <laughs> John's writing like uh, Bendis. <laughs> you can get two issues out of that uh, dialogue there. Yep, yep. Thanks, John. We do appreciate it. Oh, we writing. appreciate it. I need feedback. You know, and, you and, know, and if any of you want to give us feedback, there's so many ways to do it. You can reach us right here on uh, – well, you can reach us on Facebook, of course. Uh, we've got our group there, Third Degree Burn. But you can actually if, – if you've seen our link from – the Two True Freaks Cantina or the Two True Freaks page or the uh, – I, I usually post it in the, the John Byrne forums. There's two of them out there that I'm uh, uh, on regularly, the Byrne Victims and then the John Byrne, John Byrne comic book forum. Hmm. Um, fans Unite. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you can uh, get us at our, our Gmail account. That's got to get burned at gmail.com. Burn spelled his way, not not the other not way. Right. You can send us, you know, you can uh, in some messages directly. You don't have to go mm-hmm. through the, uh, the 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 third degree burn uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can just stop by Brian's house. He doesn't mind. He always has milk and cookies. Yeah, <laughs> um, that might not go well for them right now. My father in law's living here, and he's got a gun. Oh, okay. So uh, he's actually used it on people too. (laughs) All right, on uh, don't wake the man. That's for sure. (laughs) All right, on the possibility of home invasion. We'll uh, we'll uh, (laughs) you got anything else to uh, to add, Brian? Before we kind of sign off on this, this is gonna be this is gonna be a big episode. Yeah, here in a couple weeks, uh, on the weekend of uh, February tenth and eleventh. Uh, there's going to be the North Texas Comic Book Show. We talked about it earlier. Uh, a lot of uh, comic book personality is going to be there, including the uh, Secret Wars guys, Jim Shooter, Mike Zek, John Beatty, Joseph Rubenstein, a couple others are going to be there. Tim and I are going to try and show up. We're going to show up in our podcasting shirts. We're going to bring our mm-hmm. recorder. We're going to see if we can get some snippets from a number of people. Renee Witterstatter, who edited Burn on – she helped too. She brought him back to the book the second time around. We were talking about that earlier in this episode. Uh, she's going to be there, so we'll see if uh, see if we can work something out. If you guys have any questions that you want posed to them, ask us. Put it on the forum. Write us. Whatever. Uh, we'd be glad to to hit them up as long as it's something that you know doesn't insult their intelligence or ours. Well, we can be insulted. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, you know, let us know. Uh, or if you are in Texas. Come, come out there. I was going to say that. Let us know, let us know if you're going to show up. We'll know to look for you. We'll try and maybe arrange a meetup or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got anything else? No, no. I think that's we. I think we've kind of uh, covered this as much as we can be humanly possibly covered. You know, we're not superheroes. You know, so. All right. Well, Tim and I are going to go off, and we're going to talk about what we're going to do next month, or, or maybe sooner if possible. And uh, you guys have as much fun as you possibly can. Hope you're enjoying the new year as it is. And just uh, look out for us. You got anything else? Uh, no, no. Just uh, tell them that we're going to try to have a little more frequent episodes this year than the last year. So uh, uh, look forward to uh, at least once a month coming. You know, something coming out of us. Yeah, coming absolutely. from us. For third degree burn, that was Tim Elliott. And for third degree burn, that was me, and that's Brian. <laughs> Take care. All right, bye. The fantastic. Featuring The Thing, Mr. Fantastic, Human Torch, Invisible 
in one mighty magazine. I... I can't turn invisible fast enough. How can we stop this creature, Torch? <sighs> Just wait and see, sister. The Fantastic Four have only begun to fight. The three of you can't do it alone. It's time for the thing to take a hand. It'll take more than ropes to keep Mr. Fantastic out of action. Here they are. Dr. Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, Susan Storm, Johnny Storm. The Fantastic Four. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn.